What's up and welcome back to Bar Down Talking Hockey episode number 128 presented by the Bar Room Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and I am one extremely pissed off sports fan. And this right here, this is Frankie Mueller and he's got a really cool hat shirt combo going on right now. What's up? What's up? I like this hat. I love good these hat. types of hats. It's a good hat. We, we've talked about those types of hats more than any other types I, of hats. I'm due for a new one. You're due for a new one. I'm due for one. I haven't decided what I want my first one to be. I'll tell you what, though. Kansas football. They're going to be good soon, eh? Mm-hmm. Kansas football? Kansas basketball? Kansas basketball is a given. That's like saying Alabama football. They're, they're, a, yeah. they're a blue blood in Absolutely. college basketball. No pun intended? Mm, a little pun intended, yeah. Yeah, 100%. How you doing, man? How was your weekend? I'm doing good. Um, busy. Busy weekend upcoming, too. Um, September's always busy for me, so I got a lot going on. Sure is. I feel like I feel like we got to get together and watch some football. It's a oh, yeah. hawk coming up soon. Hawk soon. Soon. Season, you know, VP's favorite time of the year. Ooh, I'm going to go off on some <laughs> preseason talk, too. Part of me being pissed off with what we saw on Sunday. Oh, my God. I am furious in terms of football, but in hockey, I got no complaints whatsoever, actually. So I guess I shouldn't say I'm a pissed off sports fan. Well, I've been pissed off at baseball since the White Sox ended April 7 and 21, but I kind of got over it, you know, by June, July, you kind of accept your fate at a certain point. Like if the bears are four and nine going into December, I I won't be mad anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, if the, you know, if your favorite hockey team is 12, 20 and five going into whatever time you'd be over it by then. But, Oh, am I mad right now at the bears? And we will get into that. But first we're going to talk a little puck there, son. We have to actually, before I even start talking, I almost did it without a guest. We have to send it to period. Number one. Frank, welcome to period one, bar down, talking hockey, talking sports, talking everything here with you. Mm-hmm. Welcome to everybody watching in the chat, too. I know we got some people that show up always, especially Skokes, first and foremost, oh. every single episode, it seems like. What's up, dude? Um, we have exactly four shows left that are pre-NHL season. So I figured four shows left four divisions let's preview one a week pretty fair straightforward we're not gonna say which of these teams we think are gonna make the playoffs the only one that we're gonna say it makes the playoffs is who we pick to win the division obviously that team gets an automatic bid in the playoffs because the top three teams in the division get an automatic bid mm-hmm. in the playoffs the sleeper we pick in each division is not always um gonna be a playoff team I think my sleeper team in this division is not someone I'm going to make to to pick to make the playoffs, but they could. Is kind of where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. I'm I'm excited to get into this, and of course we're going to start into the division. Um, Aldo says, "When I want hockey news, I tune into Bar Down Hockey Talk with Vinny and Frank." I appreciate that. We love you, Aldo. Very yep. much. I will be tuned in. I still haven't watched Bear Your Souls from last night. Busy morning plan on doing that at some point but i will be tuned in to the nightly stuff that's going on tonight i know barham's got a big night of bears coverage tonight too oh yeah heading into week two against the tampa bay buccaneers um looking forward to that but frank let's do the pacific division which is loaded with talent loaded 
Spit and Chicklets said it's the best division. Ryan Whitney said it. I don't agree. I think it's the second best division. I would rank the Atlantic over it. I think the Atlantic has a higher volume of good teams. I think the winner of the Pacific or one of the top three teams could win the Stanley Cup. But I think the worst team in the Atlantic is probably better than the second and third worst team in this division, in my opinion. In my opinion. Wait till you hear my opinion. Well, I can't wait. You you think this division sucks? I didn't say that. Okay. We'll see. You think they're the best? We'll see. All right, Frank. We'll start with one of the lesser teams in the division, at least as of the last handful of years. We're going to go in alphabetical order. Okay. We're going to start with the Anaheim Ducks. The Anaheim Ducks were a powerhouse in most of the 2010s leading into 2020. And then once you started to see the old guard of Ryan Getzlaff, Corey Perry, Ryan Kessler, Frederick Anderson, um, Cam Fowler, Sammy Votnin, all these guys that made the Ducks what they were in their heyday, even Shea Theodore before he was taken in the expansion draft by Vegas, you see how good he is for them now. They were a top team in the NHL. They were one of the Western Conference powerhouses. They won the Stanley Cup in 2007. Um, Their Stanley Cup in 2007, that team reminds me of the current Dallas Stars because that team had Pronger, Niedermeyer, and Solani. But they were like in the later stages of their careers, and they had Perry, Getzlaff, um, all these guys on the come up, uh, Bobby Ryan, friend of the program, Bobby Ryan, um, they were on the come up and then fricking, you know, the, those older guys retired. They won the Stanley cup early, but, um, for most of the 2010s, they were good. We'll see if the Dallas stars can repeat that this year, but we're not talking about the Dallas stars, Frank, the current ducks. What do you think? Who are the top players on the team? Oh, well, you got a Troy Terry, Trevor Zegras, Mason McTavish, Leo Carlson, he'll turn into a top player. Um, I think so. You know, this Ducks team, they're clearly rebuilding. But uh, I like the talent that's coming out of this Ducks team. There's a lot of potential here for the Ducks to be a competitive team again in a couple of years. And uh, they definitely have the young talent right now to show for that. And they're going to continue building, continue developing these young players. And eventually, within the next handful of years, they're going to be competitive again. I don't know if you're aware of this, but our good friend Trevor Zegras doesn't have a contract he is currently a restricted free agent and training camp opens today for rookies um a week from today is when all the big boys will start to show up some of the big boys are doing a media showcase i don't believe zegris is able to do the media showcase for the ducks like he normally would last year was on the cover of nhl i mean of course this guy's going to be their media showcase guy um i don't think he is this year because he technically doesn't play for them right now he doesn't have a contract he is a restricted free agent um do you foresee him sitting out do like what what would kind of contract get it they'll get it done what kind of contract are we talking though like what are your thoughts on zegers i think his contract situation is messy right now in my opinion i'll tell you why after i'm done or after you're done well here's the thing right i haven't really looked at his numbers and what i think he's uh what he's deserving of so i'm gonna pull that up right now but um they're going to have to sign him. He's going to be a key part in this Anaheim Duck team going forward. Before but, you look it up, though, it feels like he's worth a lot. And then you he look is it worth up, a lot. And then I you look it up, though. I think he's worth more than what his numbers are saying, right? He's only been in the league three years. He's going on his fourth year, right? 
And his best season was last year at 65 points. First year he had 13 points. The year before that, 61 points. Uh, last year, 65 points. Both years he got 23 goals. But it just seems like he's developing still. He's only 21 years old. He's going to be turning 22. Oh, no, he is 22. Um, he turned 22 this year. So he's 22 years old. He's not in the prime of his career yet. He's still developing. He's going to be a 30-goal scorer, absolutely, especially when this uh, Ducks team improves, maybe even a 40-goal scorer. So, you know, I think he's worth, honestly, 7, 8 mil just because we haven't seen his full potential yet. I don't think he's worth anything more. I wouldn't give him anything more. But the Ducks are going to have to try to sign him to a long-term contract. So let's say the way it seems like things are going now with contracts in the NHL, they're going to probably want to lock him up seven, eight years. This is my guess because he's going to be there for the core of this uh, Anaheim Ducks team. And if you give him $7 million for seven years, so if he makes $49 million for seven years, I think that's a fair deal for this Anaheim Ducks team. Could you see Jack Hughes? Because I've talked to some people that believe that Jack Hughes is the baseline for this Zegras contract. You kind of base it around that. Except I don't think they give him eight years. I, I, I can't say I would. I love Zegras. I think he could be a superstar. 65 points, 23 goals. I bet all 23 of those goals were pretty. You know, Jack mm-hmm. Hughes scored 43. They weren't all pretty. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. You, you can't only score pretty goals if you want to be like a super duper star. You can be a star and like people, a player people want to watch and get invited to all-star games and skill competitions. You know, those players exist. I think there's more to Zegris than that, though. And so a seven-year deal or a $7 million per year deal, maybe four years. I'd take that, too. Yeah, like I, I, he can't be getting much more than that. And the I don't only, see I don't see the Ducks budget on that. The, the, well, the only problem is if they go short-term, four years, $7 million, and he does start to reach that ceiling. Now he's got 80 points, 85 points. Well, when that contract ends, you know, the Ducks will probably be competitive. We'll probably see him in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So then the Ducks are in a real pickle because then his next contract is going to be even more when he could have had him locked up for an extra three years at $7 million. It's It's, you know, it's risk versus reward. It is. It really, really is. So you're saying you right now, and you make a great argument. You might even have persuaded me because I see it worked with Heischer. Hughes was a little more like everyone kind of believed it. He sure needed to prove it a tad bit more um, than Hughes. Um, but that's actually a great point. And the Leafs probably wish they had an extra two or three years of Austin Matthews only making 11 yeah. instead of jumping up to 13 exactly. after this upcoming season. So that's actually a really good point there, Frank. Um, I wrote down the tab issues. That's the biggest issue for the Ducks for me right now is getting Zegers taken care of. Is there any other issues that you look at when you see this team and you kind of see coming? Well, yeah, I mean, they got to figure out like what's going to happen with Gibson too. I, I don't think John Gibson's going to be with the team much longer. And after that, they're stuck with Alex Daylock. And let me tell you, I know my fair share of Alex Daylock being a Hawks fan. Um, so, you know, they have a lot of veteran trade bait on the team, which I don't think is necessarily an issue. But the issue is when the veterans are gone, you're stuck for at least this season and maybe next year with a younger, weaker core until they rebuild properly. So I think that's going to ultimately have them struggle in the end. So is it good that they have veteran trade rate? Absolutely. But it's going to hurt them in the short-term future until they build up a team. They're not going to be that competitive. What's the strength of the Ducks coming into this year? The strength of the Ducks is they have a ton of young talent, right? And that's what you're building for. 
Like all the players I mentioned, they drafted Leo Carlson with the second overall pick. I mean, they're not quite done building what GM Pat Verbeek is hoping to build, but things are headed in the right the, things are headed in the right direction. And I think um, them adding those veteran trade bait pieces, like I said, listen, they added Alex Kalorn, Radko Gudas. They already have Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg. Um, these guys are going to help those young players develop for the time that they're there, right? They're going to get knowledge that wasn't previously available. If you have a team made up of all young guys, I mean, you have nothing to build off. You have no ideas to bounce off people's brains, right? Because everybody's in this, you know, basically in the same boat. So I think that's a strength that they have, having them in the organization now to help them build. Absolutely. For me, their biggest strength is entertainment value. I think they're going to be a team that people want to watch because Drysdale, he probably won't miss the whole year like he did last year. And Zegris is unreal. And I love Mason McTavish's game. And, you know, if this Leo Carlson is a good player in year one, that'll be interesting and bring eyes to the team. So they're going to be a California team that's on when your favorite team is done. So turn them on. I think they'll be worth watching. Um, The next team in alphabetical order in the Pacific Division, the Calgary Flames. Calgary Flames have had a little bit of a down over the last year or so. Two years ago, they were one of the best teams in the NHL. I don't think there's any denying that. They gave, you know, hell of a run in the postseason. They made it scary. Um, They ended up reaching, you know, playing the Battle of Alberta in the playoffs and then got eliminated by the Oil um, in a really good series, an entertaining series. Um, And then last year, Daryl Sutter just drove them into the ground. Like mm-hmm. a lot of complaints with Daryl Sutter as the head coach. Uh, Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau are no longer with them, but they have Jonathan Huberdeau locked up for a long time. Same thing with Nifty Nazi, Dangleman, Nazem Kadri. Uh, Manjapani signed for two more years, and then the rest of their guys. Oh, Blake Coleman's got four years left. That contract kind of sucks. Um, but, you know. N- no UFAs that they're waiting to get taken care of or anything. Everyone on defense is a UFA after this year, except for Rasmus Anderson and Mackenzie Weger. So they're going to have some stuff to figure out there. And then in net it's Vladar and Markstrom. Vladar was better than Markstrom last year, but Markstrom was borderline elite in the years leading up to last. Um, Lots of contract talk about uh, Elias Lindholm getting an extension done before the start of the season. And then if it doesn't, then he's probably traded before this season is over because he's a UFA at the end of this year and they don't want to lose Elias Lindholm for nothing. He's unreal. Um, Frank, I kind of already touched on the top players this time around, but what are your thoughts on the flames as a whole, as they head into this season? Well, they lost a lot this off season, right? They I hadn't lost, even mentioned that they lost Tyler to Milan Lucic, Nick Ritchie, coach Daryl Sutter, GM Brad traveling. I mean, it was a complete overhaul, right? So I, I there's, <laughs> It's going to be a lot to get used to if you're a Calgary Flames fan. But like you said, they got they still got Elias Lindholm, Jonathan Huberdeau. They got Igor Sharangovich, Nazem Kadri. So, I mean, they got some pieces there, but a lot of this team was overhauled in the offseason. So it'll be interesting to see how they perform. What are some issues with the team in your belief? Oh, man, the issues is it's going to take a lot of getting used to. Whenever you have all this change of management, a new coach, a new GM, right, this could work out better for the long run. But for the current season, you know, it's like, who knows? No one knows how Coach Ryan Huska is going to do. No one knows how GM Keg Conroy is going to run this team. When you go through a complete overhaul, it takes time to get used to. I mean, you see it like happen with any NHL team, right? The Hawks had to go through it with the new GM and a new coach, and things aren't as easy right away. Even if you have Huberto and you know Elias Lindholm, I mean, things don't come easy because you don't know 
what kind of chemistry they're going to have with that team. It takes time. Chemistry is not built overnight. So I think there's going to be a lot to get used to in Calgary. According to capfriendly.com, they only have one player currently wearing a leadership letter on their sweater, and it's Mikhail Backlund having an A. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, their last captain. I'm trying, Was there a captain after Giordano? I don't actually think there was. No, I think they no. They've been captainless for a long time. Would you be surprised if they name a captain this season? Because that is their biggest issue for me. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I think Backlund would be a good choice for captain. I'd give him the captain uh, patch because right now, I, I, who else is really deserving of it? Yeah, I wouldn't think you're going to give it to Huberto. You don't always give it to one of your top players, and I don't really think Lindholm's the guy to give it to. Give it to Backlund, a guy who knows this Calgary Flames team well. I, I'd be fine with that. He's been an assistant, and I think it's time for an upgrade, and I think they need a captain too, right? I mean, right now, like I said, they went through an overhaul, and maybe you don't do that at the start of your overhaul that you're doing, but um, I, I think they should, and I think Backlund would be a good candidate for that. See, I hope they make Uyghur the captain. Um, Backlund only has one year left on his deal. That's risky business, giving a guy one year left on his deal. Well, you only give it to him if you know like there's a contract in place. Like if you talk to him and he's willing to sign – yeah, I agree. If he's gone after this year, you don't make him the captain. But Yeah, 100%. So the only people that make sense with a long-term contract are Huberdo, Kadri, and Uyghur. The Florida Panthers have not been shy in the past – or not the Florida Panthers, excuse me. The Calgary Flames have not been shy to like make defensemen prominent leadership roles on their team. I think it's Backlund, Uyghur, or Huberdo. I'd be a little surprised if they gave it to Kadri. I just never really envisioned Kadri being a captain in the NHL, even going back to his days with the Leafs. But, I mean, it's not like they have a whole slew of options, and they don't have that young prospect in the pipeline that I think is going to, you know, come up and be the captain, right? Like, you know, we know who the future captain of the Blackhawks is and whatnot, that, you know, those days are coming. Flames don't really have – they have good some good prospects, but Mm -hmm. nobody that I think is just going to come up and dominate to the point where they're the new leader of this team. It's almost like they tore it down without doing a rebuild. Like they went through a big overhaul, but they didn't rebuild. It was – it's different. It's unique. Well, that leads me to my question to you. What do you think of strength of the team is? I think that they got a couple different strengths. One of them is they have nothing to lose this season. There's no major expectations that they have going on to their back this season, right? They make it in the playoffs as a wild card. No one's going to say a peep. You know, they don't have that expectations of being so good a couple years ago and then coming into the next season like, oh, can we replicate that, right? And I also believe the other strength is their goal- goaltending duo of Markstrom and Vladar. That could help them win any game. I don't care how good Vladar was last year or better than Markstrom. Markstrom is a great goalie, and I've underestimated him before, and I refuse to do it again. You know, and Vladar's a very good backup, too. That's a guy you could rely on. If Markstrom's going through a tough stretch at any point in the year, you put Vladar in, and if I'm the GM or the coach, I'm feeling comfortable with Vladar in the back of the net, right? They got the right pieces in front of them. You got uh, you got a handful of talent on the team. You got pretty decent goaltending, and in my eyes, that's recipe you can win any game. So I, I think their goaltending is a huge strength. I completely agree. Um, it's a good strength of their team. I, I like the that you brought up that they kind of have nothing to lose. What is Huberto going to have a worse year than last exactly. year? No, he's probably going to have no a better pressure. year than he had last year. He, I wouldn't be sh- shocked at all if he had 90 to 100 points next season. He's done it multiple times. And then last year was a down year on a new team with a bad defensive-minded mean head coach. That My strength is that Daryl Sutter's gone. I can't wait to see what it's like if they're like a faster looking team, a a more anxious looking team, hard on the puck, um, mean a little bit like last year. They were mean in a different kind of way. Like 
It kind of reminded me of when Tortorella took over the Canucks and he had yeah. Daniel Sedin and Henrik Sedin blocking shots and killing yeah. penalties. Like, that's just not how the NHL works anymore. This isn't the old days. So that's kind of how I see it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so very interesting, Calgary Flames. Um, the next team on the list is, of course, the Edmonton Oilers. The Edmonton Oilers are a team – that largely centered their conversation around two players. But, Frank, I'll let you go. The top players on the Edmonton Oilers. Um, really quick, Tom says, Frankie knows how much I despise Daryl Sutter. Yeah, Tom doesn't like Daryl Sutter. We've had our conversations about it. He him. was a great coach with the Kings. Ten years means a lot. I love Daryl Sutter. Ten Back years means day. a lot in sports, though. Yeah. It's the the He's Kings crazy. would not win the stand that 2012 Kings team would not be as successful today. Like that's just the way it is. The, the game's changing, right? Yes. So But um. Anyway, the Edmonton Oilers top guys obviously you got McDavid, Drysaitel, Vander Kane, Darnell Nurse, great defender. Um, they got a lot of uh, good. I mean, they have two of the top players on their team. So I mean, the Edmonton Oilers. They're great. They just they can't get over the hump that I think the organization wants them to. But um, you got McDavid and Dreisaitl on your team. You're in good hands for at least the regular season. And then we'll see what they could build off of uh, beyond that. Okay. For one, Evan Bouchard is unreal. Okay. I, like, I, I think the world of him, 3.9 for the next two years, and he's going to get a significant upgrade when it is time to extend him mm-hmm. because all every, oh, the power play points are because of McDavid and Dreisaitl. Okay. Maybe a little bit, of course. I think McDavid's power play numbers are inflated by having Dreisaitl, and I think Dreisaitl's numbers are inflated by having McDavid. It's the greatest power play of all time for a reason. You know, it's not just because of one guy. It's not even just because of two guys. Not that Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl need much help, but having there's a reason that it took a while for this power play to get going. McDavid was a 100, 120 point guy without the power play doing this. Mm-hmm. Having a guy at the top of the point with a bomb changes everything because before Bouchard got there, when it was Tyson Berry running the point for them. Tyson Berry, he'll shoot a wrist shot through traffic and it'll be accurate and he could make good passes just like Bouchard too. But he didn't have that bomb, that goalies even were scared. Right. So guys would, they would cheat McDavid and Dreisaitl just a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? They were, you know, and then now that Bouchard's there with this big booming shot that goalies don't want to face at full potential, guys are leaning off of Dreisaitl a little and McDavid a little bit more and, you know, putting a little more pressure on freaking Bouchard now too so the pressure just kind of evenly the resistance by the penalty kills mm-hmm. just a little bit more evenly distributed and I think that makes the power play even better and I think Bouchard having a bomb is even better than that and you know really quick before we continue with this Edmonton Oilers conversation I want to recognize Don the Bears fan in the chat Don Burr huge huge Detroit Lions Bears fan um, when I want to watch hockey news, I turn on the Detroit Red Wings, Detroit versus everybody. Yeah, I believe Detroit has the second longest playoff drought in the National Hockey League, and it's going to become the longest playoff drought in history and the se- active playoff drought this season, Don Burr. And it's funny because they had the most consecutive seasons making the playoffs, and now they're going in a drought. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's crazy. Isn't that crazy? And since Datsuk and Zetterberg have retired, Hockey Town became Lame Town. <laughs> um, but back to the Oilers. Um, oh, and is there a worse sports city than Detroit right now? 
the Lions are awesome. Mm-hmm. Hand up. I picked them to win the division. I was even more convicted of my conviction last time. The Lions are back to being good. When the Detroit Lions are the best team in Detroit, you got some problems there in Motor City. Stinky. <laughs> Who are the Pistons? Uh, what's the other sport? Oh, the Tigers. Yeah. Oh, the Tigers. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Detroit Rock City, baby. It's rough. Um, but back to the Oilers, an actual good team in the NHL. Um, you know, with your guy, who's the GM now. Um, now I'm drawing a blank on his name. My guy? No. Don Burr's guy. He was the oh. GM of the Red Wings for a long time. Kenny Holland. Ken Holland is the GM of the um, Oilers. Now he was with the Red Wings for a lot of those glory years, and he's done a sensational job. And listen, I know the Iser plan is going on in Detroit and whatnot. I actually do believe they'll be okay. But um, I just like messing with Don Burke because he's a huge Bears fan. Um, but I I think the world of this Oilers team and Bouchard being there on the power play, big key for me. He's also got to be in one of the top players. I, I started with strengths over issues because strengths – there's more strengths with this Oilers team than issues. Um, Bouchard on the power play, they're going to be so good. And so I've heard that McDavid went into a meeting postseason, like after their season was done, because they had a disappointing end. Mm-hmm. They got bumped way earlier than I thought they were going to. They beat the Kings, but barely, and then lost in the second round. McDavid told people, if you don't, show up early to training camp in the best shape of your life, you're on waivers. (laughs) And apparently there is one team in the NHL right now, fully at training camp, not just rookies, the Edmonton Oilers, other than whoever's at media tour, it's probably McDavid at media tour. He don't need to be there. He's McDavid. All right. Frank, I think he explodes again this year and beats his points record from last year. 70 goals is not out of the... I I honestly think McDavid, he's entering his prime. We are about to see McDavid at the true height of his powers starting this season. And the Oilers are going to be dangerous as a result. Dreisaitl's a lock for 50-50. you know, it'll probably be more like 50-70, but 50-50 is a lock. Um, I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Strengths. Strengths, you nailed it on the head. I mean, they have a tremendous power play, and you know, and that shouldn't change too much this year, right? They might not set an NHL record again, but their power play is dangerous, and it's one of their most lethal parts of the organization, right? And that's mainly because they have two of the top best players in the NHL on their team, right? And they just got to learn how to develop around them, right? It's it's great. McDavid could score, you know, 60 goals. And Dreisaitl, they both get on over 100 points. And Nugget got over 100 points. That's great. But they need to start building a team around these guys if they want to win a Stanley Cup with this core. Because it's, it's, like you said, disappointing end of the season for the Oilers. McDavid's got a fire under his ass. He's getting annoyed by the situation. It's great you got this talent, but that leads me to their biggest weakness, if you don't mind me stating my weaknesses. Um, For being one of the best elite or one of the most elite teams in the NHL, they have a really, really poor defensive core. Darnell Nurse is great, and Cody Cece gets the job done. But besides that... And Bouchard. Yeah, and and him too. But besides that, uh, their their defense is really, really... Like, Cece's okay. 
he's okay. They need more. They need better though. Their defensive depth is defensive depth horrendous, and you see that when Stuart Skinner's taking all these shots on net and letting in a bunch of shots on that. You know, I'm, I'm still not high up on Stuart Skinner, right? Gave up way too many goals in the postseason. There were there was no reason why they couldn't beat the Vegas Golden Knights in the situation that the Knights were in, right? Knights won the cup. Congrats. I'm happy about it. But there was no way that the Edmonton Oilers couldn't outscore and outplay the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Stuart Skinner. I'm really not, right? It's great that they can outscore teams due to McDavid and Drysaddle every game. But that's not a recipe for success. You can't rely on them to do that every game and expect to win consistently over a long period of time. It's just it's just not the way to do it. I, I don't like that part about the Edmonton Oilers. So I think a full training camp and a full preseason with Ekholm actually makes their top four pretty formidable. If you have Nurse, Ekholm, CC, and Bouchard, and, you know, fill in the bottom two however you can in the regular season Stuart Skinner he was good he had mm -hmm. a good rookie year it's all about once the playoffs start they need to f make sure Way that that goaltending tandem and they have to play well in front of them too Stuart Skinner was a rookie in the playoffs and Jack yeah. Campbell went MIA last year entirely but I do think Stuart Skinner is a good young up-and-coming goalie you know it would be like if Soderblom had a bad year this year or, or no, it would be like if in two years, Soderblom had a really good regular season. It was the first time he played 50 games. He had a really good regular season and then shit the bed in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. It would infuriate you if people were just out on <laughs> Yeah, It would. And yeah. that's the exact same situation here with Stuart Skinner. He's 24 years old, and he got chucked into a situation because of what happened with Jack Campbell. And then the playoffs are a different business, different animal. The Vegas Golden Knights, they ended up winning the cup. Makes me wonder, hey, if Edmonton got it done against them, would they win the Stanley Cup? Uh, yeah, I think it's possible. I'm I'm high on the Oilers right now, if you can't tell. My weakness, though, is goaltending in the playoffs, playing in front of their goaltending in the playoffs. Um McDavid and Drysaddle are like all-time great point scorers in NHL postseason history. I mean, you look at their Which stats. Is why it's shocking they can't get it done. It, the here, and that's another thing. That's L the problem. Here. Last year, you, you talk about Edmonton's depth. They're such a deceiving team. They make everybody feel and look like fools because they were the only team in the NHL last year that can put out a complete starting lineup of twelve forwards that all had double-digit goals. No other team in the NHL, not even the Devils, not even the Leafs, the other high-scoring teams in the league. Mm -hmm. The Edmonton Oilers had 12 forwards reach double-digit goals last year. They can make a lineup of 12 forwards that all did that. And guess what? Everybody that's not named McDavid and Drysaddle, including Nugent Hopkins, went silent in the playoffs. The depth needs to be a little bit better in the playoffs. They were great in the regular season. Um Time time to move on and think about bigger and better things if you're the Oilers. Hopefully they listen to McDavid. Um, Frank, the LA Kings. The LA Kings. The Anze Kings Cop of Los Angeles. You know, their top guys that they got on the team, Anze Kopitar, they got Pierre-Luc Dubois. Adrian Kempe, 41 goal scorer, tremendous. Drew Doughty, um, big reason why their defense could stand tall, right? The Kings uh, also brought in Cam Talbot to be a starter in the net. So we'll see how that pans out. Um, should be an interesting year for the Los Angeles Kings. 
Absolutely. It should be an interesting year for the Los Angeles Kings. You named some of the top players. I think their center depth is as good as any team in the division, not named the Oilers Mm -hmm. Um, with, you know, some of the players that they added, adding Pierre-Luc Dubois to be their, you know, right there with Kopitar. One of them will be one C, the other will be two C. And then they have Deneau, who's probably the best third line center in the NHL. He might be the best, just pure shutdown defensive center in the NHL. And, you know, I think the world of the Kings, I think they're going to be pretty good. I don't love their goaltending. They spend like 800000 on goaltenders combined. Actually, I can get you the exact number right here. On all of their goalies, they spend $2.5 mil. And I think there is a third goalie in the system. Um, it's Talbot, Copley, and I'm forgetting somebody because they don't have it on. Um, oh, Riddich, David Riddich. David Riddich or Riddick, however you say it. Mm-hmm. Those, that's not good enough. Okay, if, if there's a team the Devils are competing with to get Hellebuck, it's the Kings. But I could see the Kings, they won't get Gibson, but I could see them making a trade for Saros if Saros becomes available. Mm-hmm. Or if, you know, there are a couple other goalies that I could see becoming available this year. If the Wild suck for whatever reason, I could see Marc-Andre Fleury becoming available. Um, there are all sorts of, maybe the, um, maybe Kachekov all of a sudden comes up and plays extremely well for the Hurricanes and they move one of Ranta or Freddie. There are all sorts of options for them at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. I, but I do think the Kings are a very, very good team. They, they should, I don't know if they take a straight up step this year, you know, cause what's another step from, I guess two years in a row, they've lost to Edmonton in the first round. So can they get past the first round? Can they beat Edmonton in the playoffs? I think they could get past the first round if they don't play Edmonton. Um, I don't know. Vegas, too. That'll be interesting to see how they match up against them. But um, what are some strengths for the Kings for you? Well, one of the biggest strengths is they went out and get Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's a consistent 25-plus goal scorer. I mean, having an extra 25 goals on your team, maybe even more being on a this Los Angeles Kings team, that's going to help them out tremendously, right? And especially in the postseason as well, if they make it that far. And not only that, but they have one of the best mixes of younger and veteran talent on the team. And uh, I, I think that that plays a major factor, especially in a team who has a mentality of win now. They want to win now. They're trying to win now. It's good to have that mix of young and veteran core talent on the team. So I like those as uh, my strengths. Yep, it kind of feeds into my strength. I already touched on it, the center depth. Mm-hmm. If you're strong down the middle, especially in the Western Conference, you have a chance. Um, I like that they have a lot of young players on the team. Um, obviously, with adding Gavrikov last year, that's a 27-year-old defenseman that they have for two more years at you know a reasonable 5.8 contract. Um, you know, Brant Clark will probably play a lot of years or a lot of this season with them. He's 20 years old, making 800 K. If he's good, that'll be awesome. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Pierre-Luc Dubois is only 25. It feels like he's way older than that, but he's only 25. I guess when you've been in the league for eight years, cause you come in at 18, that'll happen. But yep. Kevin Fiala is only 27. I mean, what can he do this year? I can't wait to see. He might be like an 80, 90 point guy. Um, Adrian Kempe, only 27. They have Quinton Byfield, who's only 21. Arthur Kaliev is 22. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this this season is going to be loaded with a Kings team that's got a nice mix of veterans and, you know, young players. But really, the only true old guys on the team are Dowdy and Kopitar. Dowdy's only 33, though. Mm-hmm. I, you know, if you told me uh, 
without looking that Dowdy was like 37, it would make sense. But he's only 33. Yeah. So after Stamkos, he went or no Tavares, second overall to Tavares. Like Kopitar is 36. Like he's you know, but really good defensive forward. Selkie candidate. You know, Selkie top 10 almost every year. Lady Bing winner helps your penalty differential. Helps you kill penalties. Helps you on the power play. Net front can shoot. Can pass. Um, the Kings are going to be a really good team, and I think they will be one of the more exciting late-night options for hockey fans across the country. Yeah, it's fun to watch. Frank, the San Jose Sharks. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, well, we're talking about uh, their top guys. They still got Logan Couture, Thomas, yep. Tomas Hurdle. Uh, they got Anthony Duclair, but, you know, the list runs thin when we're talking about talent on this team. This poor San Jose Sharks team. They were so good a handful of years ago, and now they're one of the worst teams in the entire NHL. They really are. Your boy Mackenzie Blackwood will probably see a crap ton of starts for them this year. It's a um, shame. It is a shame. But, <laughs> you know, Jan Ruda, and uh, the shell of Mark Edward Vlasic. I was looking at their their – Depth chart. Oh my God, it's horrendous. It it's is very bad. bad. It's bad. It's very bad. Alexander Barabanov. He's had a good year last year. Mike Will Hoffman. Smith's not playing. He's going to college. Thank God. I know, but I'm just saying, it's just it's really bad right now in San Jose. Yeah, they have two first round picks. As long as Pittsburgh doesn't completely shit the bed, you know, from the Eric Carlson trade, they've traded away Eric Carlson. Obviously, Timo Meyer's gone. Um, it's interesting times. We'll see if they trade. Tomas Hurdle. I I could see it. I could see them trading Logan Couture. Maybe not this year, but at some point, um, you know, we could talk about their issues. But my issues are just all of the issues. Yeah, I mean, For, yeah. forward, defense, goaltending, the yeah. rebuild. The, yeah, they're that, that's the same with me. Their weaknesses. They're going through a full on rebuild, right? Um, most of the players that are on the on the team are on expiring contracts. Mike Hoffman, Anthony Duclair. Kevin LeBlanc, Oscar Lindholm or Lindblom, uh, Alexander Barbanov. All these guys I just named are on expiring contracts um, and they could be moved at the trade deadline. And, you know, that helps them get draft picks in the upcoming draft, but that depletes their team for this year. They're going to be terrible, but they do have some bright sides as well. I think uh, some of the strengths is they got Will Smith in the organization in this past uh, draft. They're going to be just as bad this year to potentially get Celebrini, which is could be a strength for them as well. Um, so other than that, there's not many bright spots to the San Jose team. There's really not. Um, their strength is that they are bad enough to be, like, the good kind of bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see them picking 7th, 8th, ninth. You don't want to be that. Unless there are a couple teams that I think would be okay with 7th, 8th, ninth, like Montreal, you know, those teams who are a little bit past uh, Arizona. You know, mm-hmm. a little bit past being like a really bad team. I think uh, strength for San Jose is that they will be like that bad. That's a good thing for them. That's I what think. I said. I felt that way about. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I felt that way about the Blackhawks the last two years. Um, thank God they gave away that first pick instead of the second one that became Bedard in the Seth Jones trade to Columbus. <laughs> thank freaking Christ. <laughs> no one wanted to listen to me back then. Um, but. I just, uh, yeah, their their issues are all the issues. Their strengths are that they're like really bad. Um, I think there's a zero point five percent chance Will Smith is the best player from his draft. 
I think there's a 15% chance he's the second best player from his draft. I think there's a 20% chance he's the third best player from his draft. And then I'm going to go out there and say that I think there's like a 70% or six. The math doesn't really add up, but a 60% chance that he's the fourth best player from his draft. I think the world of Will Smith, and I can't wait to watch I love Will him Smith. play for Boston College. Mm-hmm. Really cannot wait to watch. Um, the bean pot this year is going to be freaking unbelievable. Oh, I yeah. literally cannot wait. Um, but Frank, there's not really much more to say about the San Jose Sharks. We'll be talking about them heavy at the trade deadline, I assume. Let's talk about the original 32's 32nd team, the Seattle Kraken. Oh, yeah. This team is on crack. Their team's highlighted by uh, rookie of the year, Matty Beniers. Beniers. Jared McCann, who is great. Jordan Eberle gets the job done. You know, the Seattle Kraken had a tremendously shocking season last year. They dethroned the Stanley Cup champions in the postseason. Then they tore through the Dallas Stars. The Seattle Kraken are going to be looking for some similar magic this year. And, you know, I think they're going to be fun to watch. I think they're going to be fun to watch. I'm very interested to see where my brain is at when it comes time to picking the playoff teams. Um, I'm not saying I'm not going to pick them. I am not saying I am going to pick them. Neither is a lock at all. I agree. Um, but we'll see how I, because, you know, you got to watch preseason. You got to watch training camp. Screw that. And you, yeah, right. And you got to freaking, you know, try to understand what the roster is going to look like. And that'll all go into the decisions. But um, a strength that I have for them is that they really don't have, anybody you know Vince Dunn's locked in for the next four years at 7.3 I think that's a great deal and then their most expensive forward is 33 year old Jordan Eberle who's a UFA after this year they have Schwartz for the next three and Oliver Bjorkstrand for the next three but they're really not like so locked into anybody that they can't like build a team and I love taking a chance on Kyler Yamamoto Love taking a chance on him, actually, because he was good at times in Edmonton. He just never really had the room to, like, bloom. But, you know, Jamie Alexiak, good year. Um, I I like Brian Dumoulin for them. It's just a gritty team. They're like like if the Golden Misfits just lasted longer Mm -hmm. without trading for Stone or Pacioretty or Carlson, or not Carlson, um... Uh, signing Petrangelo is what I was thinking. Like, they, they made some big moves right after that first year. The Kraken didn't do that. They didn't even do it after their second year that saw them make the playoffs. They're, they're just a team of second liners and second-paired defensemen. Mm-hmm. And that could be good enough in a Pacific division that, you know, for the last handful of years was probably the worst in the league. I think as the division gets better, though, Seattle might run into a little bit of trouble until they get those stars bonafide. Now, that's my strength. An issue I have with them is Shane Wright. What are your thoughts on Mr. Wright? Oh, I don't, but before you get going, Shane Wright was granted special access to play in the AHL this season. Um, Normally, the rules say that a player of his age with his experience level would either have to play the nine games in Seattle and then move back to his um, OHL or CHL team. Is it the Seattle Thunder? No, it's not the Seattle Thunder. No. I, I forget, forgot, I forget what team it is. I forget. Oh, is it the Brandon Wheat Kings? Um, I forget, actually, Doesn't sound what team either. Shane Wright plays for or played for. But he will play for the AHL this season if he doesn't crack the Kraken's, no pun intended, roster. 
listen, I think he's a great asset to have on the Kraken, uh, at least in their organization. I, I, as far as what he does with the Kraken, I have no idea. I've never been so up and down with the player, right? Um, part of my strengths is that they have great young players that are only going to grow and make this team better in the Seattle Kraken franchise, right? They have a lot of options to add young talent to this roster and let them grow. A lot of teams who made the postseason last year can't really say that because they're already all really developing. There's a couple like the Deve- uh, like the Devils had uh, great young talent, right? But not many teams could say that because they're an expansion team, right? And they're still ex- reaping some of those expansion benefits. So I think that's a big strength for the Kraken. You know, your issue is Shane Wright. My issue with the Seattle Kraken is how much pressure is on this team at, from the fan base after last season's performance, right? Because not everybody thinks like we do. If if there's young guys on the team that can't stay consistent, that's going to be a problem for the fan base, and they're going to take a lot of heat. And who knows how this uh, expansion team is going to handle that. So that's my issue. Shane Wright can turn into a strength if he proves, you know, to be good. We'll see what happens. Like you said, he's got to make it, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know. I don't, I'm so up and down with Shane, Wright. I'm up and down with Shane, Wright too. There's a reason that we couldn't remember his junior team. It's because he was traded in the later stages of his junior career. He went from Kingston to the Windsor Spitfires and then he played with the Coachella Valley Firebirds in the playoffs last year. Cause he was able to play for them in the playoffs after his OHLC or his CHL season was over. Um, Obviously, he's a player that we're rooting for. He didn't go number one. And Montreal, the Devils, and the Coyotes, they probably feel smart for not passing him. Mm-hmm. Although the Devils and Coyotes got good players. The Montreal Canadiens took Slavkovsky, so I don't know which they'd rather have at this point in time with the issues that they've currently been dealing with. But, um, yeah, we'll see what happens with Shane Wright. I am happy that he gets to play. They saw it common sense. What more is he going to learn in the CHL? Right. Or the, yeah, it's the OHL, the Windsor Spitfires. What is he going to get playing for them? You know, it's just, it'd be dumb. It's good for his development to either play AHL or NHL, depending on what the mm-hmm. crack can see after the must-watch preseason. Um, <laughs> Frank, the Vancouver Canucks. Um, I'm really excited to watch Daniel Sedin and Henrik Sedin. And Roberto Luongo and Ryan Kessler. You wish. And Kevin Bieksa. And who's the other guy that looked like frickin' he could be a Sedine brother? Alex Alexander Edler. Oh, and what about Alexander Burroughs? That guy was an asshole. Um, yeah, those old Canuck, those team. old Canucks teams were fun, dude. I hated them. I hated them too, but I would love them in the year 2023. Oh god, get like, them. Here. I would like me, like Mr. I love all 32 teams, Vinny, um, would have loved that team now. I hated them back then, but like, I'm looking so back, glad they're gone. Yeah, looking back though, I was like, I wish I embraced them a little more. They broke my heart. And I remember there's that video that when they played the Blackhawks, they sent the, um, they sent the headphones around and they were like, What is this yeah. song? And it uh-huh. was Chelsea Dagger. And uh-huh. every single one of them put it on and was like, no, I don't really like that song. No, no. I dude, there's nothing good about that team. They I hated them. Very funny. They were one of the biggest rivals for the Hawks back then. And they're yeah, the definition of a time. playoff rivalry. Yeah. They played them like three years in a row, three, four years. It was so annoying. They just oh I couldn't stand them. But 
you know, I think the Hawks got the better of them at, at the end of it. Yeah, and um, the Bruins beat them in the final. Yeah, so good for them. Screw the Canucks, right? But no, we're in a new era of Canucks hockey. Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Brock Besser, JT Miller, right? The Canucks finished sixth in the division last season and were just an average team at best. They really weren't fun to watch either, in my opinion. I mean, they had some guys that were fun to watch, but as a whole, they weren't fun to watch. They really weren't exciting. Um, everything about them was boring, in my opinion. So, It's my favorite jersey catalog in the NHL. Not my favorite jersey. They don't have, none of their individual jerseys are my note like a top five, but they have no misses. Mm-hmm. Every team has like all oh, those jerseys or that jersey for them is okay, whatever. Um, you know, I like the Devils white jersey, but it's nothing spectacular. Like I like their, I love their red. I mm-hmm. love the black. I love both reverse retros. The Canucks have yet to make a jersey that I don't love. I mean, the one with the stick, awesome. The black one with the blades, awesome. Okay, their reverse retro was my number one favorite reverse retro last year. That's the strength of their team. They're always hot looking. Even their homes and aways are just beautiful. Um, I love their sweaters, all of them. Um, And then I love Quinn Hughes, the older brother of Jack and Luke Hughes of the New Jersey Devils. Um, We'll get to him a little more in something that recently happened to him in the second period. But um, my issues with them is that I just I, I think they're mid. I do think Quinn and Peterson, they're fun to watch when they're on the power play. If I find out they're going yeah. on the power play, I'm tuning in. But for the most part, it's just like a mid-team that I don't really see doing anything. Yeah, their strength for me is they're finally building their defensive depth. They added Ian Cole, Carson Saucy, Matt Irwin. And because of these new uh, defensive acquisitions, it saw the departure of four veteran defenders, right? And this is great news because this is an opportunity for the Canucks to develop young defenders and build their defensive depth. This may allow for more goals to be scored against them for the upcoming year, but their defense is slowly gaining more depth, which is great. And, you know, an issue I have with them is they've done nothing this offseason to try and build a competitive team. Besides the players I named on defense, they're running it back with the same exact team as last year. And honestly, they have lost a lot of their veteran defenders. So if I'm a Canucks fan, I'm livid, right? The only reason as to why the Canucks might not finish last in the Pacific Division is that Thatcher Demko has a couple of hot streaks in them here and there. They might finish second to last or back to sixth once again or whatever. But this team's a dumpster fire, and the only bright spots this year will be watching Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I couldn't agree more, actually. I think sixth. I'm going to go. I right think, yeah, I, I think Anaheim and San Jose are probably right where they were last year. Yeah. Anaheim could be better, but they have them. I do think, I think Demko's a good goalie. That could be a goalie. The Kings look at, and I know like, you know, division rivals don't make trades very often, but I feel like Vancouver is willing to make trades with division rivals. Right. They have before. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I am excited to watch Quinn Hughes. I root for him like a lot. I kind of feel bad for him that he's casted away. Yeah, that's just going to be the bright spot. His two brothers play in New Jersey, so basically New York, and they're in the metropolitan area, the prime lights of the metropolitan division, and then he's cast away in just dark little old Vancouver. Yep. You know, everybody's sleeping by the time his game starts. It's a shame, like they're a hockey fanatic. It is a shame. Um, then the last team in the division alphabetically is the defending Stanley Cup champion Vegas Golden Knights. 
Frank, I want to talk about the top players in the Vegas Golden Knights a little bit. Since you're the Golden Knights guy, you'll dive in a little bit more. So I'll just talk about the top players a little bit. Obviously, Stanley Cup champion Jack Eichel is their best player, in my opinion. Um, I think he's going to have a big year offensively this year. His career high in goals is 36. Bucci tweeted yesterday that he told him to shoot more, and he actually agreed that he plans to. And, you know, Bucci and I are kind of on the same page that Eichel could be a 40-goal man if he just shoots it a little bit more. Four or five shots on goal per game could lead to the man being a a 40-goal scorer. I think he has tremendous wrist shot talent and could be one of those guys. Surrounded by Mark Stone, William Carlson, obviously, Wild Bill, Jonathan Marchessault. They have Barbashev locked in for five years now at five mil. Um, Nicholas Waugh is unreal. Chandler Stevenson was awesome for them last year. And then, you know, they have guys like Carrier and Colasar, um, Paul Cotter, Michael Amadio, really, really good forward group, really, really good forward group. Um, it stings to lose Riley Smith, of course. That's going to be a little bit of a gut punch that I think will take some getting used to for their top six. But with Alex Petrangelo, Alec Martinez, Shea Theodore, and Braden McNabb as their top four, and then you add in White Cloud, Haig, Hutton as, you know, guys who could, you know, fill in those – last two spots you know rotate in and out each night to preserve legs and whatnot and then you got Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson in net um it's just a sound solid team the Vegas Golden Knights there the defending Stanley Cup champions I don't think they take a step back in the regular season by any means um it actually wouldn't surprise me if they had more points this upcoming season than they did last year I'm not saying they're gonna repeat or anything and I, I don't think their window is like wide open anymore but it's been open for the last six years. That's a long time for the mm-hmm. window to be open. If it has three more years open and they start to suck after the th- three years from now, that's a nine-year window of them being a Stanley Cup contender, and they did get one. Oh, yeah. So nobody, no matter what happens this year, next year, or the year after that with Vegas, is going to poo-poo the way that they started their franchise. No, they started it great, right? You mentioned they lost Riley Smith. That's going to be 26 goals they're going to miss, right? But the major core is returning, which is big. And, you know, the one strength that we haven't mentioned with any other team in the Pacific Division, that's their coaching strength. They got Bruce Cassidy, who knows how to win games, who knows how to win a Stanley Cup, who's played a major factor in winning the Stanley Cup. He has the most playoff experience of any coach in the Pacific Division, which plays a huge role, right? So that that's... Really, there's not another team in the the Pacific Division who has that coaching strength, which is why I saved it for the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, the weakness, this is a big weakness, right? Because this was a lot of question marks surrounding this last year, is they need to find ways to keep their players healthy and keep them off the IR. And I'm talking about big players. Mark Stone only played in 43 games last season. Jack Eichel missed 15 games last season. Their goaltenders kept getting injured, right? And they're on the third, fourth string for goaltenders, right? If they could field a healthy team, they'll be fine. But injuries have been a major weakness for them. And why a lot of fans kind of don't give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Because they're like, well, their goaltending going to hold up, right? How's Aiden Hill going to do in the playoffs? They proved everybody wrong. But the guys I mentioned... Top guys, you got to keep them off the IR. Agree, Frank. You make a bunch of adequate points. One that I wanted to touch on, Riley Smith, 26 goals missing. Do you think it's crazy that I think a full healthy year of Eichel and a full healthy year of Stone makes up those 26 goals? I don't think it's crazy. I don't think a full year adds 26 both to them. It might add 16. 
Is that what you're saying? Combined 26. I know. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think we'll, – we'll take a look at the end of the season to see how many extra goals Eichel had and how many um, Stone sure. had. I don't – it might get 15 to 18 extra goals, but you're still going to miss a good 8 to 10 goals, I think, out of Riley Smith. And th- those 8 to 10 goals, you know, could have come over a span of two weeks. You're missing like two weeks' worth of a player's uh, – of a player's – um whatever uh i don't know like Contri- contra- yeah for con- contribution production to the vegas golden knights so um we'll see i actually want to remember that and take a look to see how much their production went up if stone and eichel each score if stone scores 30 and eichel scores 40 they will add a combined 13 plus 13 plus 13 no <laughs> No. Is it 26? It's 26. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> That's funny. Got to keep funny. Off the IR. But Eichel scoring 40 is not a lock. So I actually probably agree with you. 15, 18. But maybe. even if it makes up, if it makes up six or 20 of those goals, you know, like I think that's a win for them. Uh, Eichel gets 35 and stone gets 28 or something yeah. like, you know, stone only played 43 games and he had 17 goals. So Riley Smith will be goals. missed. Yes. Riley Smith will absolutely be missed because guess what? Even if stone and Eichel reach those goal scoring plateaus, you could say, okay, well, imagine if Riley Smith was still here and right. they reached those goal totals. So I do think it's funny, though, that those numbers that I just predicated in my head for them did equal 26 on the dot. They would each be adding 13 goals from their most recent season. That'd be funny. Um, that would be very, very funny. But we will keep that in mind. Um, I don't have a pen near me. Otherwise, I would write it down. But, Frank, who do you have out of all these teams that we named the winner of the Pacific Division? I'm going to go with the Edmonton Oilers winning the Pacific division. And I hope they fix some of these problems I mentioned, and I hope they don't make me look like an idiot, but I'm, I'm going to go with the Edmonton Oilers, but they better not disappoint with, with my thinking. Frank, I also have the Edmonton Oilers with the utmost confidence. The up, I know that probably sounds crazy, but the utmost confidence I could not be more confident in that pick I they think they better not I think they could take a run at the cup I'm I don't like knowing that McDavid is as angry and pissed off and focused as he is because like I want the Devils to win the Stanley Cup and if Edmonton beats the Devils in the Stanley Cup I think I would like cry my eyes out because like I was begging for the Oilers to win the cup and then like of course <laughs> they do um I just just like I think about the 2019 season and Joey Parisi playing Gloria the whole time during the playoffs, being so excited when they beat the Hawks and then so excited when they beat the Stars and then the Blues beat the Bruins in the Stanley Cup. Oh, I don't want that to happen to me. The Oilers beating the Devils in the Cup final would be the equivalent. So let's keep that from happening, I guess. But I do think they make a run. I just um, their defense scares me, VP. Their goaltending, the amount of goals they give up, I'm just are, worried. Are you not open to changing your thought on the defense, though? Knowing it is, ner- don't forget about Ekholm. I know Ekholm what? was awesome for them. I know. The tra- but... And now he's going to have a whole training camp. He's going to have the McDavid effect, Nurse, um, Bouchard, and Cece, who's good. I'd prefer CC be my fifth guy, 
So maybe they'll make one more trade for a defense. If they trade for one more defenseman and Skinner plays well, they can win the Stanley Cup. We'll see. We'll see. We will see. Frank, who's the sleeper in the division? I think we go three for three on this. Really? Yeah. I think uh, the sleeper? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. We might, though, based on what you said before the first period. But my sleeper is the Calgary Flames. They remind me a lot of the Florida Panthers team of this past season, right? I think if Huberto could get his shit together and they get great goaltending from Markstrom and Vladar, who could who have proven they could be consistent, anything is possible, right? They also have a decent amount of talent to make a run if the cards fall the right way. So I'm going Calgary Flames. I agree. The Calgary wow. Flames are my sleeper team. Um and listen, for those of you, anybody thinking I might be disagreeing just or agreeing just to agree, I want to disagree with Frankie. <laughs> I want to tell him why he's wrong. I have many times on this show, and I can, will continue to do so when I feel necessary. Now is not one of those times. The Calgary Flames are my sleeper team. I'm not positive if I'm going to make them a playoff team in my predictions when we get there, but I am positive that they are the team right on the border for me. Uh, you know what it's down to? I think we have where we would agree on the top two teams who other than Edmonton would be your likely candidate to win the division. And then I think we both probably have a clear third. Um, and then I think that fourth spot comes down to Calgary and Seattle. And I'm giving the edge to Calgary. I think right now is no, as the sleeper, not yeah. necessarily for the playoffs. Right. I think more people expect Seattle I think Calgary might say, hold on a minute. I'm not positive yet, but right now they're my sleeper. Yeah, it'll be interesting for our playoff predictions. Yes. Frank, who's the worst team? It's San Jose by a mile. Oh, easy. I mean, they're the wor- they might be the worst team in the NHL. If you would have said, yeah. I looked at their depth and it's- I was like, Bleh. I was like, who's this guy on the fourth line? And the third line, there were some guys I didn't even recognize. I was like, who are these people? And their goaltending stinks. Capo Kakinen is their, their starter, and then their backup. I don't even remember who their backup Mackenzie is. Mackenzie Blackwood. Oh, yeah, that's he's gonna, why. I think he's, he's going to start. I think he's he's gonna a start. muffin. He's going to start. Good. That'll make him even worse and prove us right. Well, we Man, want them to be bad. I want them to be good eventually. They're, they're so bad. Yeah, I don't think it's close. No, I hope William Eklund has a good year. 20 years old, about to be a, like his true rookie season. Um, They took a chance on Zadina. I hope he's good. I want those two to be good, but th- those two could be good. If if you compare Anaheim and San Jose, Anaheim makes or San Jose makes Anaheim look like an elite team. Anaheim would sweep them in a seven game. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I remember I was watching a game. I was watching a game in like January last year. It was a day game. It might have been MLK. Because it was a day game on a weekday. So the only day that that would happen in January was like MLK. Unless it was better or no, it wasn't that early. Unless it what's there's one in February too that that could happen. Mm-hmm. I forget what holiday it would be though. No, I think it was definitely MLK day. And they were playing during the day. And I texted Joey because I saw Randy Hahn, the announcer of the um, San Jose Sharks say, that they haven't won a home game yet. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Like what? Yeah, yeah I know. what? They hadn't won a home game. It was January, and I texted Joey, and I remember his response being like, "What?" Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, they were bad last yeah. year, and they they 
they held last place in the league for like a couple weeks there. Mm-hmm. And then the Hawks, Blue Jackets, and uh, Ducks said, oh, yeah, watch this. But, yeah, I think they're going to be – I mean, Timo Meyer scored 31 goals for them last year. That's no, not going to be there. It's not going to be there this year. There's no 100 points. They for lost Carlson. 100 points. Between Meyer and Carlson, they lost like 150. Yeah. More yeah. than that, right? Yeah. More than that. More yeah. than that. So – it's going to be really, really interesting to see, but we both think. Do you have a hot take about this? Oh, yeah, I got a hot. This is like <laughs> you might need the fire department. All right, for this lay time. it on me, pal. This is your I'm, – I'm, I'm ready to take all the heat from you. You might have to. But I think the Pacific Division is the weakest division in the NHL. I really do. I really do. Why? Just because I'm not certain uh, – well – Let's break down the teams, right? San Jose stinks. Anaheim's not going to be that good. I don't know where I stand on Calgary, Vancouver. I know Vancouver's going to stink. I don't know where I stand on Calgary and Seattle. They might both stink, right? Calgary's my sleeper, but they might both stink. And honestly, I think Vegas is going to have a letdown year, and I don't want to say it. I really don't want to say it because I love the Vegas Golden Knights, but I wouldn't be shocked if they had a, a, a turnaround of a year. That leads the Edmonton Oilers is why I picked them to win the division. And the L.A. Kings, I'm not sold on L.A. Kings and their goaltending. I'm really not. I'm I'm so far out on their goaltending. I like Cam Talbot, but I don't know about Phoenix Copley. I don't know. Like I said, when we were talking about the weaknesses, you know, Rob Blake's taking a major gamble with his goaltending in this division. And that's why I chose the Edmonton Oilers to win the division because – I think this division could be fairly weak this season. Now, on paper, maybe they're great and maybe not one of the weakest, but I think at the end of the season, they will turn out to be one of the weakest divisions. That is, a, that is a hot take. I will give you that. You came up with a good hot take. I would rank them second. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's, I, it's... I think the Central sucks. It used to be the best, not close. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> um, I think the Central's the worst. The the stars and the avalanche are so far ahead of everybody else. Minnesota is good, but they're not great. And then I think Nashville and St. Louis blow, and they'll probably be like fourth and fifth in the division. Um, oh, my God, do the Winnipeg Jets suck now, um, especially if they trade Shifley. And they could even be – and they're in the mix with the Blues and the Preds. The Coyotes will be a little bit better than they were last year, and I think the Hawks are almost as bad as they were last year. They'll be an entertaining version of themselves from last year. Their defense and goaltending are terrible. And so, like, if you line up each team in the two divisions, I think the Stars are right – the Stars and uh, – uh, I mean, we're kind of – Giving away our central, but we'll do well, something last. I get what you're saying. Like you got the Oilers, Stars, or no, the Oilers, the Knights, and the Kings are your equivalent of the Stars, Colorado, and the Wild. Correct? Yeah, but I think the Kings are better than the Wild. See, I I would take the Wild. I think over the Kings. Wow, that's okay. why I, I, it's not crazy. No, right. But I think the Wild make a move for Drysidel or something the following offseason when Parisi and Suter and, are off their cap. And I trust the Wild goaltending more than the Kings. I trust the Wild goaltending. Who's their number one center? You know just as well as anyone. You see it with the Devils. What made the Devils finally good again? That's true. The Wild 
don't have good centers. Listen, on paper, three amazing ones. On paper, they might not be the worst division, but I think at the end of the season, when all said and done, we might be like, wow, that, there's a lot of turnarounds in this Pacific division. You know, I like spicy nugget takes like it's that. a hot take. It's a hot take. I love it. I love it. Um, I hope you're right. I want the Devils to pound on everyone. So like we'll when see. they undefeated on the road against the Pacific division where the New Jersey devils last season. So that's crazy. Let's go D's. My hot take is McDusty breaks his point total from last season and eclipses 70 goals. Wow. I think he's going to eat up central division and Pacific division, uh, food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and he'll dominate the Eastern Conference when he gets to play against those teams. Because McDavid, I think, would be an even better player in the Eastern Conference because the Eastern Conference uses a little more speed, whereas the Western Conference is a lot of tenacity. But McDavid, he dominates in both categories. But my I, uh, McDavid gets close to 200 points. Wow. That is a hot take as well. If, if he broke 200 points, I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, and? That would be insane, a 50-point increase, though. I know. Their power play, dude. It's their strength. It's their strength, but, like, he gets points on the penalty kill. I know. Five on five, he's unbelievable. We Vander Kane's probably going to play the whole year this time. Yeah. Zach Hyman, another year of him. Nugent Hopkins is a full-time winger now, I would say. Yeah. He's not even really their 3C anymore. He's a full-time winger now. I don't know. I like the Pacific. I'll be watching a lot of it. Those games don't start till 9 p.m. when they're the home team. So VP watches a lot of Pacific Division once everybody goes to bed, and it's just me and the TV. Um, The Devils are over by then. The Hawks are over by then. The Bruins are over by then. All the teams I like to watch. So um, that's the Pacific Division preview from us. It took us an hour and 10 minutes to get through it. Holy shit. It was good, though. We did a deep dive for each team. So Yep, we're going to do that for every division. Next week, I haven't decided what division is going to be next, but I have a feeling it's going to be an Eastern Conference division. Okay. I have a feeling. Katie said, have you had the spicy nugget wrap from BK? I haven't, but I want to try it. I see them advertised on TV, and all three look good. Tried all three. Love each and every one of them. I can't wait to try I would rank them hot, honey mustard, plain. And that's not shitting on the plain. It was still good. It has this zesty sauce on it. That's awesome. I will try it. All right, Frank, let's write a jingle to get us into the third or second period. Write a jingle. What are we writing? Here we go, Vinny and Frank getting ready for the second period. Gonna talk some more hockey epic. Have it your way. Period two. Welcome to period two. That was very fun. We're creative. We're creative minds here at Bard on Talking Hockey. Frank Tomash Tatar. They don't Tatar. have tartar. They don't have tartar sauce at BK, do they? They do at McDonald's. I, don't, I mean they might. They I do don't at McDonald's. Um, I don't think they have it at BK. Well they might put on their fish sandwich. They have they firmly have it at McDonald's. I know they have it at McDonald's. I like a filet of fish. Once in a while. Me too. I I don't think it's I would not ever my go to. No. Isn't anybody's go to? Yeah, you're, oh, here's Vinny getting his weekly filet of fish. <laughs> no, it's just like every now and then I'll wake up on a Tuesday morning and I'll be listening to some Leonard Skinner and I'll be like, oh, Tuesday's gone with the wind. Ooh, I want a filet of fish. That's kind of how I want. Like, so you're more likely to get it in the winter? Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah. You don't want to fillet a fish July first. There's something. No, I I don't even, by the pool. Frank, I don't even like other than those days that are hella fun that I know I'm at a pool or at Christmas Mountain or the bags tournament. I like hate the musty summer days. I don't even want to eat at I all. Don't either. I mean, I love the weather we have right now is perfect. You know? Sign me up. It's a little hot today. It's a little hot, but at night, I, I had two fires this past week. Well, and it's the first the fires of the year. Huh? Thanks for the invite. You could come. I didn't know. Well, now you do. It was well, I'm by... leaving for Wisconsin tomorrow, but I'll be back Monday. I expect an invite. We were by G's when we did the fire, though. Are you going to drive oh, all the no. way out to Mandalay? I got a new car. Right. I'll put that new car to use. Well, I'm putting it to use tomorrow. I'm driving to Wisconsin, 530. Right. Um, Tomash Tatar, Colorado Avalanche. I like the move for him personally. Yeah. And you know, the abs. It's a one-year deal worth $1.5 million. And you got a twenty goal score and a fifty point player for one point five million on a Colorado team who's already great. These numbers might even only go up because you're playing on the Colorado Avalanche. Hey, you play- watch your mouth. And you're going to be playing with Nathan McKinnon, Nico Rantanen, Kale McCarr, Dougie Hamilton, Dougie Hamilton. Plus, Tatar is one of those great assets to have for a postseason run. And you get this man for a steal for $1.5 million. I'm stunned. Like, this is might be one of the greatest pickups of the offseason of this year. I agree. In he terms played of like steal value. I couldn't agree more. He, I watched all 82 of Tomas Tatar's games last year, and I watched every game he played in the postseason with heavy interest. Obviously, he played for the Devils. Um, he proved to me that in the NHL, in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he can play on all three lines. Unbelievable. He could play on the first line with the Nate Dog. He could play on the second line. Don't forget they have Ryan Johansson now. Yep. That's their second line center. He could play uh-huh. with them. He could play on the third line. I think on a perfect world, he plays in their second line because Gabriel Landeskog is already out for the season. We're praying for him. We like Gabe Landeskog on this podcast. We like the Avalanche on this podcast. But um, hopefully, Tatar has a good year. Um, we're rooting for him. Um, it's a steal of a contract for one year, too. Oh. Um, I do think going from Tatar to Toffoli is an upgrade for the Devils, like a significant upgrade. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand the move for them. But for the Avalanche, when you're not getting Landis Cog back till next year, and then after basically two years of missing Landis Cog, mm-hmm. you can only hope that you get the same Landis Cog back. He was one of the best power forward wingers in the NHL. Um, but you know, all the best to him. Love Tatar. Can't wait to see him play for the abs. Hopefully the abs aren't ass. Um, yesterday we found out that Tori Krug injured his foot during off season training, and he's going to be reevaluated, um, on October 1st. Frank, the former Boston Bruins spent eight or nine years with the Boston Bruins before making his way over to the St. Louis Blues. When I looked it up and I saw that he was entering his fourth year with the St. Louis Blues, I was like, what the hell? It's been that long since he's been on the Bruins. I remember when he made his Bruins debut in the playoffs and he shit on the Rangers. Yeah. Um, that was unreal. And Tory Krug named to the 100 greatest Bruins ever. I don't know if you saw that too. I did not. Um, it's their one centennial season coming up, and they named the 100 greatest Bruins ever. And Tory Krug made it. Shout out to Tory Krug. Um, Good reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I 
hope he's okay by October 1st and he can get back to playing. Yeah, so he's going to be reevaluated on October 1st. This is a tough blow for the St. Louis Blues, who are losing one of their top defenders, and they're already projected not to have the greatest years. But, you know, his offensive production for a defenseman has been incredible since coming to the Blues. It's not point per game, but I don't expect that out of a defenseman. But he's got well over 100 points and like 180-something game played or something like that. So he's not point per game, but he's damn near close, and that's great for a defenseman. And when I mean close, he's like 50 points less than point per game. But That's, that's close. Great for a defenseman. Time. Yeah, for a defenseman, that's close. Yes. Um, My gut is telling me that this injury isn't too serious, right? Because if it was something major – they would have said, oh, Krug suffered a broken foot and expected to miss four to six months, right? If it's a broken foot, he's not being reevaluated on October 1st. You know he broke his foot. We we know what's going on, right? So and them saying he's being reevaluated on October 1st makes me seem to think he would be ready by the start of the season. I completely agree. That's just I, my gut. Yeah, I completely agree. I hope he is. Um, he hasn't played more than 50-something games or 60-something games since 2017-18. So he has been a little bit injury-riddled in his career, but he never missed, like, 50 games either. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we like Tory Krug, Michigan State alum. Um, love that guy. Um, one thing, you said 50 games. That would be close for a, close to point per game for a forward, in my opinion. Everybody thinks, oh, if you're not point per game, you're not that good. Wrong. The players who are point per game make – significantly more money for a reason. And that's what I was trying to tell you and Tom about a guy like Taylor Radish, right? Like not everybody is a superstar, right? You need good contributing players that contribute 0.75 points per game, 0.6 points per game. There's room for, unless you're a, you know, you can tell the difference between a Taylor Radish or a Tory Krug. And a buddy fucking Robinson. <laughs> you know, one of those types of guys. Yeah. Okay, I remember when the Devils were terrible and everyone shit on Pavel Zaka all the time, myself included. Mostly because he was a sixth overall pick, and we expect more from a sixth overall pick. But, like, he would get hurt and they would place him with somebody like um, Danny Agostino or something. like. And then you would be like, oh, Pavel Zaka's an NHL forward. He might not have lived up to his potential, but that's what an NHL forward looks like. You get Diagostino in there or Blake Pietala or one of these other guys that suited up for the Devils when they were trash. And you're like, oh, those are AHL forwards. You see the difference pretty quickly. So that's why missing a guy like Tory Krug will hurt the Blues big time. Frank, the Jets, the Jinnipeg Wets. I know the Jets have been in the news a lot this week in multiple different sports. Um, yeah. But Adam Lowry, named to be their captain, they kind of went the route that you were talking like the Flames were going to do, naming just a good, solid middle six forward to be their yep. captain in a year where they're maybe going to compete, maybe not. What's the move for you? Uh, the Jets general manager, Kevin Shoveldayoff, actually drafted Lowry in 2011, and he's been in the NHL with the Jets since 2014. So this is the type of guy that you want as a captain. This is why I want the Flames to do. You want somebody who knows the team well, who's a – you know, a jet in quote unquote day one. Cause that's what Kevin, Kevin shovel stated. He said he bleeds blue and the team could be led by a true jet who was from day one. And that's what I like, right? You, you, you don't necessarily choose the captain of a team 
is the a best player, a top guy, right? The the captain of the team could be a fourth line player, a guy who doesn't produce, but he's great leadership, and that's who Adam Lowry is. I like this move by the Jets, and honestly, he would have been one one of my top two or three choices to 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 get the captain patch. So I'm fine with it. I thought you were going to shit on it. I'm very happy to hear this no, from you. I like it. I like it too. I like it a lot, and it's very telling. Shifley's gone. Mm-hmm. If you don't make him the ca- like, he's a jet lifer, right? Right. And like Wheeler wasn't a jet lifer. He was with the Bruins before playing for Atlanta, and then Atlanta moved to Winnipeg while he was on the team. Which Atlanta's coming back, by the way. Just be prepared for the thirty second team to be or thirty third team to be announced sometime soon. The Atlanta team is coming back, um, and it will succeed this time. Um, but back to Winnipeg Jets business. I, I like this move for them. I don't think they're going to be all that good. Adam Lowry's not a star nope. or anything like that, but that's not the criteria of a captain. I love that criteria for a leader. Now, he wasn't the only captain in the NHL named this season, or this last week, I should say. Um, one of the vacancies filled was Vancouver, who named Quinton Hughes, the oldest Hughes brother, is the captain of the Vancouver Canucks. It's a very interesting decision, but it's a very good decision. Um, I love this move. And this is an example of a star becoming a captain in the NHL, which does happen. Sometimes yeah. you lead with your play. And I'm not saying Adam Lowry doesn't lead with his play. He's a good player. He's just not like a point per game. Right. Quinton Hughes could win the Norris Trophy if he develops a wrist shot at any point and scores double-digit goals for once in his life because he's almost point per game just based on assists. So if he develops a mediocre wrist shot and scores 10 to 12 goals a season, he could be a Norris Trophy guy. He's the captain of the Canucks now. Yeah, he wore the assistant captain patch last year on his chest. Now Quinn Hughes finds himself as the 15th captain in Canucks history. Hughes has already established himself as one of the best defensemen to ever wear a Canucks uniform. I truly believe that. Um, He's the fastest defenseman in NHL history to get 200 assists. He also set the single-season team record for points and assists by a defenseman last year. And like I said, he's already one of the best defensemen ever played for the Canucks, and he's only been in the NHL for five seasons. I mean, that should tell it all right there. I think this is a great move for the Vancouver Canucks. You know Quinn Hughes is going to be a Canuck for a very long time. I think they made the right decision here. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. One of the best players in the NHL, in my opinion. The only Hughes brother that's going to be a captain anytime soon, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, But, you know, the other two have bigger plans as well. Um. What do you think about the Jake Sanderson contract? 8.05 for eight years after his rookie season. It's risky, but. It's risky, but I'm fine with it. Uh, he's This is his second year in the NHL. He signed an eight-year, $64.4 million can- contract, which averages out to a little over $8 million per year with the, well, it was the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, with the Ottawa Senators, you know. The reason why Sanderson signed this contract was because all the other younger core players are signing there for a uh, long term. And those were his words. That's why he said he wants to be here. Stutzla signed an eight year, $66 million contract uh, last year in 2022. Uh, Brady Kachuk signed a seven year, $57 million contract in uh, 2021. And Shabbat signed an eight year, $64 million contract in 2019. He said they plan on winning in the next handful of years and he wants to be there for it. He was, he was great last year joining the all-rookie team. He is one of the core players that are going to need to help the Senators team start being competitive. It's risky, absolutely, especially right after your rookie season. But if he is truly going to be part of this core, got to lock him up with all the other young guys that are locked up on the team. So I'm fine with this contract. 
Couldn't agree more. Who was that last player you mentioned? Uh, Tim Stutzla? No, the defenseman. Uh, oh, Shabbat! Shabbat! <laughs> um, love Shabbat. So do yeah. I. Um, yeah, the sen- Senators, they made a good move. I know it's risky. It's risky business. Very risky. The Devils did it with Hughes in. He sure? Not after their rookie season. <laughs> not after their and, rookie And Sanderson's not a Hughes or Hughes here, but. No, but he's a very good defenseman. It's risky. Um, I'm trying I'm, to I'm think, a little nervous. Who's but... a Sanderson comparable? You know, like, I'm trying, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to think of, like, who might be a Sanderson comparable? Like, now or in the future? In the future. Like, who's their comp? Like, when I think of Heischer, I think of, like, Kopitar. When I think of Hughes, I think of, like, if Patrick Kane played center. Um, Miro Heiskanen? Yeah, that's a good one. Maybe. I'm, I think Miro has a higher offensive I, ceiling. I do, too, but, but I can't really think of, like... Maybe Shabbat? Mm. Shabbat's bigger, maybe. though. I, I don't know. The shot's it's better. Hard. It's hard to compare him. It's hard. In the NHL one year. It is. I'm going to keep an eye out for that this season. I Who think Anderson Or Shabbat. Heiskanen's um, a good one. Heiskanen's a good one. What about, like, Ryan Suter in his prime? Maybe. I, I kind of like that because, like, Suter had some offense to his game, some edge. Sanderson's more defensive. He'll get you some points, but he's more defensive. Yeah, 100%. I felt that way about Suter. Right, right. Um, I watched a lot of Suter back in the day. There was a seven- or eight-year stretch where I didn't miss a game that Ryan Suter played in. Like, I know that's weird to think about, but that very yeah. much was my life for a minute. Um. Frank, last but not least, other than the NHL being on their media tour and, you know, Connor Bedard chatting with Sidney Crosby, I'm sure we'll see that interview ahead of when they play each other to open the season. Um, We're getting close. But the last story that I have, Brian Boucher joins the Flyers broadcast. In addition to the work that he will now be bringing to TNT after being with ESPN and then um, NBC Sports before that, when you watch a Flyers game that's not a national broadcast, you will hear Brian Boucher's voice. Yeah, so to get – Viewers who are watching caught up a little bit. Keith Jones became the president of Hockey Ops in May for the Philadelphia Flyers, and they needed someone to replace him on the broadcast. So Brian Boucher was signed to replace Keith Jones on TNT National Broadcast between the benches, and now he gets his chance with the Flyers as well. He'll broadcast alongside Jim Jackson. He previously played goalie for the Philadelphia Flyers, so it felt like this would be a great idea for somebody who's familiar with the organization to take over for Keith Jones. Makes sense. He's already used to broadcasting, you know, his fair share. So it makes sense at the end of the day. I agree. I mean, he's going to do the national game still. TNT right. this year instead of ESPN. It's going to be like, like Eddie when Eddie Olchek did the national game, but he still broadcast for the Flyers. Yes. Um, I do think it's interesting. He's making that switch from ESPN to TNT on the national side. But, you know, he'll, he'll be doing a lot of games with the Flyers, and I, I can't wait to hear it. So um, the Flyers announcer is funny, Jim Jackson. Yeah. Um. Here's a chance for Giroux. He scores! Do you remember, oh, Giroux! Do you remember when he used to say, like, uh, he scored for a taste of case, uh, a case of tasty cake? Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. Ooh, I'm watching the Flyers this season. Boucher I'm pretty sure and Jackson. who said that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think so. Um, but, yeah, that wraps up our NHL coverage. I felt nice and happy while talking about hockey. And now... <laughs> time to get a little pissed off to end the show I got a half hour to lay down my anger 
for the National Football League in period number three. Frank, I'm going to let you say whatever the hell you want in a minute. But the Barroom Network originally started as the NFC North Barroom. And then it became the Bears Barroom. And then the creative mind of Aldo Gandia was like, wait a minute, we could do more than just football. We can expand it to other sports. But the core of this network is the National Football League, specifically the Chicago Bears. I'm a Chicago Bears fan. Have been my whole life. I'm very pessimistic about them lately. I was a little optimistic about them all summer. All summer. I was like, okay, Justin Fields is going to take another step. He had this all-time great rushing season last year. He broke the NFL record for rushing yards in a season last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we went from slow pocket presence, Rex Grossman, to slow pocket presence with a little bit of mobility, Kyle Orton, to the guy with the bomb, Jay Cutler, to Mitch Trubisky, who could run a little bit but not really, couldn't throw for shit. Then we get Justin Fields. All-time great running season. I cannot voice my displeasure towards Justin Fields, the coaching staff, and everybody else involved with the Chicago Bears right now. It's done. It's over. I don't give a fuck that it was just week one. Don't care. That game against the Green Bay Packers told me everything that I need to know. If I hear anyone, including you, (laughs) try to tell me that Justin Fields is better than Trevor Lawrence, I will poo-poo down your face. I don't understand what these people are watching all summer. I was happy with the Bears. I was like, they're doing this right. Ooh, they're getting Yannick Ngakwe. That's a nice little addition to their defensive line. Then we get to training camp, and they look awful. There are some YouTube highlights. Oh, the Bears training camp's going so well. The beat reporters are like, no, it's actually not going well at all. And You're negative. You're negative. No, they were being realistic. The Chicago Bears suck. You do not win in the NFL with a defensive-minded head coach anymore. You just don't. Look at what happened to the New England Patriots with Bill Belichick once Tom Brady left. Okay? They've sucked. Okay? They've been horrible. Look at the Buffalo Bills. Nobody misses their former offensive coordinator more than Josh Allen. He's terrible. He was awful on Monday night. Defensive-minded head coach running the Bills into the ground. Matt Eberflus sucks. His play calling was awful. Ryan Poles, you promised us better than that. The egg that they laid against the Green Bay Packers in that first game is despicable. This team is so bad. So bad. Justin Fields is a bust. It's over. You have to, like, figure out a way to move on now. He can't throw. He can't make a read that doesn't either lead to a check down or a run. Scrambling is his only thing he's good at. They can't draw up plays. Either they don't trust him or he sucks or both. Every single offensive play has seemed like it was a screen play. DJ Moore had two targets in the first half and zero in the second half. I mean, what the hell are we doing? You traded the number one pick. For DJ Moore. 
and other picks. He is a premier weapon in the NFL. He is a top 20 receiver. And you handle it like that? That is disgusting. It's time to start watching every single USC game and hoping that either the Carolina Panthers pick or the Chicago Bears pick lands them the ability to draft Caleb Williams because this thing is over. It failed again. My trust in polls is shaken. My trust in Eberflus is gone. I'm out on defensive-minded head coaches, especially after watching that debacle of a Monday night football game between the New York Jets and the Buffalo Beals. Um, I'm disgusted. The Bears are trash. I'd be shocked if they win five games. Yeah, there's some of the worst play calling I've ever seen, right? And I'm seeing some of the same mistakes being made over and over again from the past. And I'm almost out on Justin Fields. I'm not out fully. I'm almost there, right? Because everything that took place wasn't all his fault. I mean, that play calling was horrendous. Third and long, and you draw up a design run play from Fields, and it was like, why? There's no reason. It's like you're not even trying to win the game. Um, I mean, I, I really have nothing to say after what you said. You basically nailed every point, but things need to change. Um, yeah, it was it was terrible to watch because I, I honestly thought they was they were gonna turn things around in week one. Do you think it's possible that the atrocious play calling and it was atrocious? I would terrible. have I would have made at least one change if I were the owner of the team or the GM after week one. I don't care. We were over, we were allowed to overreact after week one in 2019 when Mitch was terrible and Nagy was terrible. That proved to be right. I mean, it's uh, what have you done for me lately, league? Mm-hmm. You play 17 games, not 82, not 162. You play 18 weeks, 17 games. It's pretty much like you better hurry up and be good. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're out. And I, I, they don't they don't trust Justin Fields. How can anyone look me in the eye and tell me that they believe Justin Fields is the answer? Justin Fields was drafted by Ryan Pace and developed at the beginning by Matt Nagy. Poles and Eberflus had nothing to do with Justin Fields. He was there when they were brought in. They are not married to him. And you could tell they're not married to him. Eberflus, listen, he might be a great defensive mind. I'm sure he's a great defensive head coach um, or defensive coordinator. The Bears don't have enough talent on defense to, you know, be a winning team or anything like that. But, oh, my God, I am just disgusted. I'm tired of people giving Justin Fields every little pass. Why, why were we able to, can, like, criticize Mitch? And don't make no mistake about it. Mitchell Trubisky sucked. He couldn't make his throws. Mm-hmm. He was mobile at times, and he was tough. He took huge, ginormous hits with a bad offensive line and got right up and never complained whatsoever. And I think he had a good attitude, and I, he was a wonderful sweetheart of a human being. He just couldn't throw well. His accuracy was off every day. But Justin Fields... He called himself a top five running back or top five running quarterback of all. Dude, you're not top five anything. (laughs) You're not top five quarterback to ever play for the Bears, an organization with shitbag after shitbag for quarterback. I mean, come on. Listen, the Buccaneers are terrible, and they snuck out a win against the Uh, Minnesota Vikings. Baker Mayfield was significantly better than Justin Fields. Baker Mayfield looked awesome against the Vikings. I don't care what anybody says. I'll argue with anyone. I was high on Bay. I wasn't high on Baker when he was with the Browns, but I thought they could get it done with him. Well, the Browns are just the Bears 2.0. 
now that he's on a good team, he's going to look like an okay quarterback this year. The Bill, the Bears are going to get killed by the Buccaneers on Sunday. You think so? Oh yeah, I got Bears. Oh yeah, that game. I think the Bears are going to pull it out. Well, listen, Frank, I hope you're right. I'm a huge, and uh, maybe I'll I just don't trust like dude. Bucks coming off of a big win in Minnesota. They're due for a letdown here against the. Maybe Bears. they are. Maybe they are. But you know what? The Bears are a letdown. The Bears are the letdown. It's not like you know a medium team is coming in to play the Vikings. It's not like the Vi or the excuse me the Bucks. It's not like the Bucks got this big win over the Vikings and a huge division rivals coming in. That might be a medium team like the Panthers or the Falcons. It's the Bears. The Bears are nothing more than your your perception of the Browns, who by the way got a freaking awesome win against the Cincinnati Bengals. They're better than people think, and people forget Deshaun Watson was every definition of elite before getting you know his little off the field issues. And the only reason people question him is because he's a shitbag human being, and he hasn't played in two years. But my goodness, are the Bears just so bad? They're um, I don't see any world they go to if they go to Tampa and win. I'll be stunned. And then guess who they play in week three? <laughs> Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Are you shitting me? Sounds like two and one to me. That asshole Nate Davis. That asshole Nate Davis who didn't want to play in the preseason. And then on the third play, and that's why mm, preseason. The third play of the game. He looked like me going up the stairs. (laughs) What are you doing? Why are you not ready? Why are you not ready? You had training camp. Training camp is treated like a joke. The preseason is a joke to the Bears. Why didn't the starters play more? Why don't they care? How can you be winded in the first game? That is a joke. Am I? They probably laugh at me like, oh, fat guy at home recording a podcast making fun of my conditioning. I'm not making $10 million. There's a public trust in playing football on a professional team that belongs to a city. Unacceptable. And, oh, I'm supposed to expect that in a week, Nate Davis and the rest of the Bears that were sucking wind the whole game because they're out of shape, they're going to go down to... Tampa Bay, Florida, where it's 110 degrees, and all of a sudden their conditioning is going to be up to par for them to beat the Buccaneers at home in their home opener. My arse. Bears got it, VP. Bucks by 20, I think. Ooh, now that now that this prediction's out there, we will be texting during that game. Absolutely. And I know we got some very special people visiting that game. I hope they have the time of their life. I just don't see the Bears winning that game at all. At all. And then you play Kansas City in Kansas City. A nice and pissed off Kansas City team, I might remind you. Yeah. Oh, if the Jaguars beat the Kansas City Chiefs this week and the Chiefs are 0-2, the Chiefs might beat the Bears by 50 in that third game where they're really extra mad. We'll see. Atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. I can't believe we're doing this again. They're so bad. And I had hope. And then I had doubts going into the Green Bay game. Did Green Bay get it right? Three quarterbacks in a row? No, I'm not sure. I didn't think love was great. I actually think if Rodgers was playing for them, they would have scored 50. 
because he missed some key throws. Yeah, Love didn't look amazing. He made some good throws, but he also made some really bad throws. We're like, oh, if Aaron was there, you know, they might. This might be even worse. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I I am out on the Bears. They suck. Um, we can move on. That's my rant on the Bears. I hope the Barroom Network originals and faithful enjoyed that. I hope Aldo enjoyed it. But it was genuine. I think they suck. I think it, it's failing again. You're never going to get it right until a new quarterback and a new GM and a new coach all come in at the same time. Nagy had Justin or had Trubisky forced down his throat. He drafted Mahomes with Kansas City. Then he comes to the Bears where they had Trubisky already in place. And then they draft Justin, but they fire Nagy. And then they bring in Eberflus and Poles while Fields is already here. You need all three to come in at the same time until they realize that. Third joke. We'll see how they do. Should be interesting. We'll be texting. We will be texting. Frank, the AFC was shaken up. Yeah. First of all, Aaron Rodgers was injured. He tore his left Achilles and is out for the season for the New York Jets. So that just about eliminates them. And then the Buffalo Beals. The Kansas City Chefs and the Cincinnati Bongos combined to go 0-3. Yeah, they all lost. The Jacksonville Jaguars were the only AFC division winner from last year that won their first game. Your thoughts on the AFC? Um, Listen, three of the highest Super Bowl contending teams lost. You said that, right? Browns made a statement against the Bengals. However, the, Brown, the Browns always play the Bengals top. I know. Always, I know. I had some Joe Burrow complainers and fantasy football surrounding me. I'm like, listen, no, Joe Burrow's unreal. The Bengals finally beat them last year to end that long streak of the yeah. Browns winning. Not but, in Cleveland, though. But no, but all these games are tough. So take that with a grain of salt. Yep. The next thing I want to say is the Jets always play the Bills tough as well. Zach Wilson's only win as a starter came against the Bills last year. He is now 2-0 and against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills because they always, this Jets team, always plays the Bills tough. Are you second? Did you know that? That his only win against as a starter came against the Bills? Uh, that doesn't sound right. It is. Look it up. Zach yeah, Wilson it. didn't win a single game last as year. As a starter. As a starter, the only game Zach Wilson started last year came against the Buffalo Bills. Um, so, yeah, and Josh Allen's career stats against the Jets are horrendous. He looks terrible every time he plays the Jets. So take that loss with a grain of salt. And once again... Yeah, Frank, that is wrong. I'm just going by what they said on Monday Night Football. He went 5-4-0 and last year. I don't know. You it was probably maybe against division, maybe in the I I don't know. They said his only win as a starter came against Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. He, he made nine starts last year and went five and four. Yeah, really he didn't su- sound right, but he sucked in those nine games. He's five and four, but wins aren't a QB stat. Notice how I didn't bring up that Trubisky has a winning record and Justin Fields is five and twenty six. But Josh Allen always plays bad against the Jets. His career stats are terrible. Yeah. I just, Uh, I worry about the Bills. 
I I'm not worried one bit. I still think they're gonna make the the Super Bowl. Except I don't know if it's gonna be against the Eagles. It might be against the 49ers. I might uh 49ers look great with Brock. Oh, Purdy. so week one will change that opinion for you, but not this one. Well, no, I mean the Eagles can make it for sure. I mean, right? But I don't know. I, I don't I take week one losses with a grain of salt when you got such a great team, right? Especially against teams. The schedule makers made these matchups for week one for a reason because, you know, they want as many competitive games as they can. Am I out on Joe Burrow? No, because they're 0-1? No. Just because they scored three points? No. Am I out on the Chiefs because they lost one to the the Lions? No, absolutely not. Am I uh, out on the Bills because they lost on a punt return in overtime? No. No, I'm getting close to being out on the Bills because their last two games they got absolutely shellacked in. And, yes, I consider an overtime punt return loss to the Jets without Aaron Rodgers a shellac because Zach Wilson's terrible. Um, it's funny, though, because Zach Wilson had no part in that win, really. No, he had one touchdown pass to Garrett yeah. Wilson, but Garrett Wilson made a and sick And their defense did anyway. everything. I know. Three picks, a fumble. Okay, return. I understand. I, punt okay. return for to win. Explain the three interceptions from Josh Allen. Josh He's Allen throwing a lot plays, of picks. He always plays bad against the Jets. He's throwing a lot of picks lately. He has the most interceptions of any quarterback, I think, of the past five years, but he also has the most touchdowns in the yes. past five years. I think it's time to just accept the fact that Josh Allen is modern-day Brett Favre. I don't know. The faster I, people accept that. I mean, I, Brett Favre's a Hall of Famer. I, I But I, I don't know. I, I disagree. Because, like, why can't the same be said about Joe Burrow? He didn't even get a touchdown. Because he, he doesn't lead the league in interceptions every year. Since getting a defensive-minded head coach, Josh Allen has been subpar. We'll see. I, I hope. Think, I want I, to be wrong. I love Josh Allen. I still think the Jets, or I still think the Bills make it to the Super Bowl. All right, you're crazy. <laughs> I'll bet you that the Bills have finished with a better record than the Bengals. All right. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll do, do that. that. We'll take care of that yeah. off camera. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Deal. Okay. Freaking Bills. Josh Allen, he's got issues right now. Something's not right. They they got destroyed by the Bengals in the playoffs. And they almost lost to the Dolphins in the playoffs a week before that. Okay. And then the end of last season, he threw like 12 picks in the last seven games or whatever. Horrible play from Josh Allen since week 10 of last year. And week one didn't tell me that anything's going to get better. But um, <laughs> I'm not trying to shit on all your favorite teams right now. What are your thoughts on the Pittsburgh Steelers? They looked awful. They got manhandled. They took too many penalties. They shot themselves in their own foot, right? However, I, I'm not out on them. I'm really not. I'm not I'm saying not that, out on them. I'm not saying they're a great team, but you know, look at all the other great teams that lost Week One, and they and all all of them really looked awful as well. I mean, I'm not out, but you know, Week One's always the toughest. They play the Browns on Monday night. Don't be fooled by the Browns. Don't be fooled by the Browns' performance in week one and what they did with the Bengals and the Steelers' poor performance against the 49ers. This is what the books want you to think, right? Oh, Browns are only two and a half. They should win by 30. Steelers can't score. Browns got a great defense. I think the Steelers get it done against the Browns. I really do. You just better hope that on next episode of Bar Down, because then I won't like sit here and not argue with you. Like I'm not going to argue with you about the Bills or the Steelers right now. Or not even necessarily the Steelers, the Browns. Because I do think the Steelers are an okay team. I didn't pick them to make the playoffs, but I don't think they're terrible as they showed against the 49ers. I think the 49ers are going to do that to a lot of teams this year. But you just better pray 
that we don't come to next Wednesday with the Bills 0-2 after a I loss. I think it's impossible. A loss to the freaking uh, Vegas Raiders who looked I think in their impossible. first game. And you better hope the Steelers are 1-1 one and, one and they fine. beat the Browns. That's fine. If both of those things go against you and you try to come on this show and argue with me on that, I, I want the Bills to be good. I'll be out if they lose to the Raiders. I'd be out on them because it'd be. There's no reason they should lose that game at all. I home. wouldn't be out. I can so clearly see the problem. Josh Allen is not an unelite quarterback. He is not in a position to succeed right now. The head coach is failing him. He is throwing the ball way too crazy. He doesn't. He's not picking up. There was one play. He threw the ball, and it was caught by a jet, and there wasn't a bill inside. I was like, this is not Josh Allen. To be fair, though, I didn't think Patrick Mahomes looked great either. I thought he didn't. He looked not no. like himself. Well, I mean, Frank, he hit Kadaris Tony right here. I know, times. but that goes against. I'm just saying, he just. Yeah, Tony dropped the pass. He dropped four passes. I get it. All but, of them were on the money. But he really didn't look that good, though. Maybe it's because everybody around him made him look worse. But. Yeah, they made him look worse, and there was no Kelsey. Exactly. You're, you're going to see a different-looking Chiefs team this weekend against the Jags. Um, I don't know if the Jags could beat them. If they do, the Chiefs will still look better. Um, Kelsey makes the offense better, and they're going to have Chris Jones he's back He's returning, right? I think so. That's and another thing. They didn't have Chris Jones. I can't believe Tony, though. That play, this turned into a pick six. Wait, I have the picture literally handy. I mean – any you can't blame this on freaking Patrick Mahomes. This became a pick six. I can't. Uh, wait. Yeah. This is a pick six. Yeah. I mean, blame that on number fifteen. I dare you. I'm not blaming Mahomes. He just didn't look good. Even when it wasn't going to Tony, he didn't look good. He, you know, I thought it was dumb that you go for it on fourth and twenty-five. I had, couldn't believe had, Andy Reid made that. When you team. had three timeouts left, like you got to trust your defense a little bit. I mean. I don't care who's under quarterback, whether it's Tom Brady, freaking Joe Montana. Who I don't care who's back there. Well, I thought the play calling was terrible. Yeah, I know. It made and, Mahomes look worse, too. Right, I'm saying. he didn't May I remind worse. you who the play caller is for the Matt Kansas Nagy. City Chiefs? Matthew Emmanuel Nagy. Frank, down goes Bama. Yeah. They lost to Texas. Your Texas got a great team. Sure. They got a great team. Sure do. They may make the college football playoff if they keep it up. I hope they do. Um, they had a lead. Alabama had a lead going into the fourth quarter. It was sixteen to thirteen, but Alabama's defense collapsed. Um, I mean, you you got to blame the defense. I mean, the offense didn't look great, but give credit to Texas. They got a very good team. Expect big things from Texas this year. Who came into Nick Saban's house and won by double digits? That's impressive. It was a very entertaining game. And I don't think a lot of people gave the Texans or the Longhorns enough credit either. They're like seven and a half point underdog, seven point underdog. It's not giving the Texas Longhorns a and a lot of credit. But what a great way to kick off the early portion of college college football, huh? Absolutely. Good game, entertaining. Yeah, it. we might get into a couple weeks of like the big teams blowing out a bunch of little teams here, but it's still going to be really really fun. So can't wait for Saturday. NIU on the road went to the first home game this last week. Um, they decided to get a power five win the first week and then shit the bed against a D3 school, not even freaking a D1 school, Southern Illinois. Um, 
on Saturday. So you beat BC, but then lose to the Salukis. <laughs> go, go F yourself, NIU. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, that is just dog shit. No pun intended because it was two dog-related teams playing against each other. I mean, just complete and utter horse Dude, shit. That, I'm telling you, that happens all the time. It's the letdown. You get a big win and you're let down. Yeah, Kinda like well. the Bucks get a big win against the Vikings, they're gonna lose to the Bears. I might parlay the Bucks, and I'm not just saying this to disagree with you. It's I think true. you're crazy. This is I what think the, I think you're batshit crazy. Let the me just books make are clear. the books are feeding off people. I'm like, gonna you. fucking parlay the Buccaneers, the Bronze, and the fucking um, Raiders. Go for it. All right. You're saying I mean, money line? Yeah. You go for it. He ain't getting past Sunday. The Beals need to be better. That's the team I actually care the most about in terms of this, though. I want Josh Allen to go to the Hall of Fame. And right now he looks like Hall of Shit since week 10 of last year. And I freaking warned you last year. He never plays good. didn't listen to me. He never plays good against the Jets. You didn't listen to me. Well, what? explain the Dolphins in the last six games That I can't. And the Bengals last year. They got shit on in the playoffs for the Bengals. But the Jets, like a team you should beat, they never play good against them. basically let's give credit for the Jets' defense. Jets got a very good defense, Jets have a very good defense. If I were the Jets, man. They're going to tear through the Raiders. Uh, if I were the Jets, I would like I would call the Cowboys on Trey Lance. Or who's their, who's get their a quarterback. They, they even mentioned maybe Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill's <laughs> a good option. Um, I'm sure the R-words have a, a backup that they could use, give the Jets. Like, Tom Brady has the, the opportunity to do the funniest thing of all time. <laughs> but um, right now the Bills are the third best team in their division. Honestly, the the Patriots looked better than them this week against That's the fine. Eagles. When it's all said and done at the end of the year, they'll be at the top. They'll be losing to the Bengals in the second round, whereas the Bengals move on to play the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game once again. Um, Frank, it is time for you to make America some money unless you pick on the Bear, uh, Bears, Bills, or Steelers <laughs> in this week's America's Favorite Podcast segment of the week. Where's my money, bitch? Frank. Yeah, the floor is yours. Got three picks for you this week. Three. Yeah, the NFL's back. I want to start doing more NFL picks. Let's go. Even if they're over the weekend. You kind of started keeping track at the end of the year, and there was really only playoffs left. We won our NFL pick from last week, right? You made fun of me because I was one in three, and my only win was the Chiefs. But I had the Lions plus the points. They won outright. Big win. Um, so I got three picks. Going to keep it with uh, two NFL, one baseball. I'll start with the baseball since that's tonight. Padres are playing the Dodgers. You got Blake Snell pitching against Ryan Pepier, Pepiot. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, he's been fantastic, though. He's 2-0 and in four starts for the Dodgers with a .86 ERA and a .52 whip. Ever since the Dodgers started using him, he's been lights out. In four starts, he's pitched 21 innings and only has walked two batters in 21 innings and only given up two runs in those four outings and a total of nine hits. That's insane. I don't know where these Dodgers get these players from, but it's it's absolutely incredible. He only pitches on average about six innings. 
So I like the Padres total runs under one and a half for the first five innings. I'm going to roll with that. Dodgers have been a disappointment this year. This guy's been pitching great. He doesn't walk anybody. He doesn't give up hits. He doesn't really give up anything. So I like the Padres team total under one and a half for the first five innings, and that's plus 120. So the favorite is heavily to go over one and a half. I don't see it. I think this kid gets it done. Moving on to football for the Thursday night football game tomorrow. We got the Vikings at the Eagles. Sure, the Vikings looked horrendous during their game with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Primetime Thursday and Monday games always hit different, though. They got a different feeling them, no matter who's playing. I think the Vikings have the tools to keep this game close, and the Eagles' defense appeared to have some holes in it against the Patriots last week in a team where I think the, I think the Patriots are weaker than the Vikings. But I think the Vikings keep this within one score, and I expect uh, Cousins and Jeffersons and the Vikings to have a big game. I th- I'm going to take the Vikings plus 7.5 at minus 149. Uh, I think they're going to get it done. Right now it was at six or six and a half. Buy the extra point and get it to seven and a half. Cover yourself. I think they keep it within a touchdown. And finally, the other primetime game on Monday night, the Browns at the Steelers, not choosing a winner here. Browns were able to shut down one of the most potent offenses in the NFL this past week. Browns got a very tough defense, and I could see this being a low-scoring game where points are at a premium. Expect a gritty rivalry game to have very little points heading into the second quarter, especially on primetime TV. I like under 7.5 points for the first quarter at minus 148. I think it's going to take time for both teams to get going, if they get going at all. The total's very low. I believe it's 39.5 is the total for Monday night. That's obviously going to change because we're a few days out, but... I like the Browns' defense. Steelers struggle to score. It's going to be a low-scoring game. Definitely not seeing like a 28-20 game. Or If it is, then so be it. But under 7.5 points for the first quarter on Monday Night Football, it's going to be a good one. I hope everybody tunes into it. Very good. Very good, very good. Another great show, Frank. Um, I'm sorry we can't agree on everything. <laughs> but then again, this show would be kind of lame if we did. It's more fun yelling at you than being like, oh, yeah, Frank. I'm just going to start agreeing. I agree. I agree that Edmonton, Calgary, and San Jose are the three answers to our questions. That was fun, and we had total a lot of dialogue there. Well, It would have been way more fun if you were like, no, you're an idiot. I think Vegas is going to win. Or how do you not think Anaheim is going to be the worst team, you clown? Okay, never know. No, I definitely think you're on glue, some of these football picks. But, I mean, football – Predicting football has definitely gone my way a lot more than hockey, for damn sure. Um, I think you probably have me slightly beat on some hockey predictions, but man, do I blow you away. Really, the only actual tweak I had was the Broncos. And the Baker Mayfield. Yeah, the Browns year. But they won nine games. I said they'd win ten. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Listen, don't but, justify it. No, I'm not. No, I'm justifying it for sure. The Browns were... And it was that freaking game against the Chargers. <laughs> and you know which freaking game I'm talking about. That's tough. a joke. That's a tough look. That's a joke. That is, I'll never bet on them again because I do think they're going to be a good team this year. I didn't pick them to make the playoffs because I didn't know who to take out, but I absolutely think they could make the playoffs. When the Steelers beat them, we'll hear a different tune from VP. Maybe. I think the Steelers are a pretty good team. They're probably right on par with the Browns. Um, But the Bills. They better beat the – I would pick the Bills. Let me make that clear against the Raiders. All I'm saying is you better hope. I think it's impossible. Okay, Frank. 
I, I honestly think it's impossible. Nothing is impossible. Nothing's impossible, but I think it's impossible. Okay, you're gonna you're in for a. Are you, you saying you know what the the Bills will Josh Allen will throw four picks, but he'll have five touchdowns remarkably, and they'll have a one point victory. And you're gonna come in and say, "I told you." What? His offensive production outweighed his picks, which it has. He has the most touchdowns thrown in the past five years. Nobody talks about that. Everybody just talks. Everyone about talks about that. He's the Everybody number just three talks quarterback. About his interception. My, he's the number three quarterback on my ranking. Burrow and, Mahomes, Burrow and Mahomes have been better in the last two years. That's fine. Especially last year. That I'm not arguing that. I just, in my eyes, I still think Allen's the second best quarterback. All right. Well, you better hope that he doesn't end the season with three times 17. I mean, I'm just saying, Allen's got more touchdowns this year than Joe Burrow. So, yeah, he does. He absolutely does. And they're both 0 and 1, and he also has more interceptions. And a defensive-minded head coach, and and the Bengals might start out zero and two. Who they, they play have? the Ravens. Oh, oh yeah, a nice rivalry game I, against oh, the Ravens. Yeah, you're right. Can't wait for that. Have you noticed though? Slow starting Bengals. Yeah, remember when the Bears beat them? Yeah, and then three and three last year to yeah. start the season. They lost to the Browns on Halloween, remember? And yep. that put them to three and three. Yep. And they freaking won nine in a row after that. Yeah. I'm not messing with. I'm listen. The Bengals, they have they some teams get the benefit of the doubt. The way the Bills ended last year, they have a little less benefit of the doubt for me than the Chiefs and the Bengals. They still have benefit of the doubt through the Bills. Right. I think if you erase the quarterback on every team in the NFL, the Bills have a top five roster. Noisy though. A noisy roster. It's Stephon digs play. this. Stefan digs that. Um, this player doesn't want to be there. Von Miller's out for the year. Josh Allen throws a lot of picks. Josh Allen also throws a lot of touchdown passes. He's mobile. He's this. It's business as usual in Cincinnati. But you know what? We haven't even talked about Jacksonville. They need they they were only good for one year. You know, I kind of feel the way I feel about Jacksonville, the way I felt about the Bengals going into last year. All right, let's see it again. I believe in Trevor Lawrence just like I believed in Joe Burrow. But the rest of the team, okay, let's see Jamar Chase. Let's see the coach. Um, let's see if they can win the division again. Um, the freaking Browns giving them that hard time, though. Crazy, crazy, crazy. All right, Frank, it was a very fun show. I hope everybody enjoyed watching it just as much as I did recording it. And we will be back tomorrow for Crosstown Crosstalk here on the Barroom Network. Um, very much looking forward to talking about Peter Crow Armstrong's Cubs debut. With the boys on Crosstown Crosstalk should be a lot of fun. Frank and I will be back next Wednesday previewing uh, Eastern Conference Division. I'm not going to say which one yet, um, but you need to come back here, and we're going to yell at each other more. Frankie has a couple teams that he better hope and pray win in the NFL this upcoming season. Otherwise, he's in big doo-doo next time we come on the show. Um, but, Frank, I very much had a blast doing the show with you fun. here today. And make sure you read all of Frankie's shit at apptrigger.com, my stuff on all the sites that I write for. And, Frank, is there anything you want to say before we get on out of here? Go Steelers, go Bears, go Bills. Go Steelers, go Bears, go I'll Bills. I'm not going to argue with any of those things. I would root for all three of those teams in the games they're playing. I just – the Browns are better than people give them credit for, and the Bills, we'll see. Um, make sure you tune into the rest of the football themed shows that will be a lot less contentious. Oh, that'll probably be equally as contentious here on the Barroom Network tonight. Lots of people arguing, lots of people having a good time. Very much enjoy it all. Um, 
thank everybody in the chat, Caitlin, Tom, even Don Burr, the Detroit uh, local Bears fan. Um, Skokes, happy to have all of you here today. And as always, thank you for listening.